This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me You not gonna do nothing, you are not above me I bet you wish you was me, I know that I know Poppin' everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, it's me and my only friends, which includes, but is not limited to, my boy, Matt Hunt. Hey, Conrad. How are you today, Mr. Hunt? I'm doing well. That was a very, that was a, a bit of a unique intro. I've never heard you do it like that before. Sometimes shit goes down like this. Yeah, sometimes you just got to be a bit more, a bit more calm, a bit more chill, you know? How are you feeling today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You been I'm in good. the streets lately? A little bit, yeah. I was going to get out to Venetian later on today, but I got some other real-life stuff to do instead. But that's, we'll be out there tomorrow. Yeah, real Poker life. is life. Yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's probably mean? true. But it's 1,600, 400K, right? Yeah, um, 1,600-something. I don't know. It's just, a just tell me it's 1,600, and I show up, and you know, however much the prize pool is, we'll, we'll just see how it ends up. Nice. Sounds good. Yeah, should be good. What about you? I'm chilling, chilling. You know. You're not in the streets? Um, possibly in my place Saturday. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. What are you doing over there, Burke? Uh, <laughs> how's that? Your job. Sidekick's getting prepped over here. Mm-hmm. You know, people got to do shit. How you doing, little man? Did you play at the Jewel yesterday? We did. They got me good. It's okay. They got you. Know, you? Some, oh, yeah, that was sometimes you run the nuts a bunch of times. And oh, then, yeah. Guapo yeah. said they fucked you bad. Eh, whatever. He came in and he had you this whole depressing thing about how he felt bad for you. Ah. <laughs> you know, Gu- Guapo, know Guapo's, <laughs> yeah. He, I think it's funny because when Guapo plays, whether he wins or loses, I think his emotions stay intact. But one of one of his friends wins or loses, his emotions are all over the place. Like I can come in and be like, I won three hundred dollars, which is like half a buy. And he's like, That's amazing! Yes, way to go! And I'm like, Hey, I, I also lost half a buy the, the day before. Oh my god! Jeez! Help, help I'm sorry, out, B. Is that, is that I'm empathy sorry, or man. sympathy? I, I think it's I think it's I think it's sympathy. Because because do you feel patronized? Because when you you when 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 this happens to you, you don't feel that emotion. So you're not empathizing. You're just sorry for me for okay. losing or happy for me for. <laughs> I winning. think we've had this conversation before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that makes you a pretty good uh, pretty good railbird there. If you're really mm-hmm. you know you're feeling it with yeah. the person who's oh, playing. Oh, I, I get it. I'm 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 the professional railbird. So yeah, I, that's true. I, you, I, uh, you've probably been on I the rail of up. Yeah. so many WSOP final tables right. at this point. Exactly. Yeah. We got to get you to a final table yourself so we can all rail you. <sighs> he one of these did days, it last Matt. Year. One of these days, I almost did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you all, you you did. Almost. It was a Colossus, wasn't it? It was Colossus. Well, you know, we got uh, the World Series schedules coming up pretty soon. That so, is true. Uh, this is a good segue. Yeah. Absolutely. We're uh, we're probably about a day away. I think. I think uh, we are. To, according to the legend himself, Kev Ke- Math, it's going to be tomorrow. Yep. I was thinking about this on my walk with the dogs today. Your schedule? Your WPP schedule? Well, just the schedule in general. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it dawned on me. um, And I was trying to basically juggle two thoughts at once of, is this a me thing or is this a WSOP thing? Mm -hmm. But uh, it really occurred to me that I just don't care. 
about the schedule at all. We know. We no, know. but like, we know. but not because I'm not not because I'm not planning on playing a big because you just schedule. know the ones that are you're going to play are going to be on there, and there's nothing else. You live around the corner. You I don't, don't have to plan for anything. It's just you just show up. It's no. just schedule comes out and you show no, up. No, 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 no. It's none of that. Think about in the past. I mean, even maybe now you get pretty hyped about the schedule. It wasn't about the events that were being uh, listed or anything like that, right? It was. The World Series is here. Do we know mm-hmm. the dates for it? It's always the same. Last week of May through mid-July. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they, they have the dates for the main. I think it's like the 3rd of July to the 17th right. or something same like thing that. Every year. How is yeah, it the 3rd through the 17th? What's the 10 day event? It's 10 days of play, four day ones. It takes two weeks. Yeah. 10, Ten days? It's like that every year. Yeah. yeah. Every day 10, year. you win the event. Mm-hmm. Right. Landon hasn't made out of day one, guys. Yeah, know. remember, remember they He's break. Young. Remember, remember they break the uh, the final table up into two or three days. I think. Yeah, yeah, it used to be two, now it it's used, three. I think. Yeah, it I mean, three, it's nine to six, six to three, three to winner. Right, right, but before that didn't happen. Well, it, it always, was like a nine it was day always event two days. Or, yeah, yeah, it was nine before Eight or nine day mm-hmm. event. Um, right. Yeah, no, it's it's not about any of those things. It's it's that for me. Uh. I'm not in a place where, and and so maybe I'm answering my own question. Maybe this is just a me thing, but this doesn't represent Christmas to me as a poker player anymore. Like, Mm. did it used to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was the biggest opportunity of the year. Half of Mm -hmm. your win rate, if you were really good, would either be won or lost during the World Series. I think this just means that you made it, man. Yeah. Right. Maybe. You, you, you graduated into the high stakes, nosebleeds. That's that's your Christmas, which is now year round. Like every day I, you get to play Bobby's, but, you're fucking thrilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's right. so much fun. Right, exactly. We're like, you know that this is not going to make or break your year. You know, obviously, there's the, the games are going to be lucrative. But like, I get better. excited for the WPT Championship at the end of the year. Kind of, but you know that's the only thing there. It's like it's the end of the one, year. It's only one mm. tournament also that you're going to play. Yeah, I'm only going to play one during the World Series too. <laughs> you're not, you're, gonna you're only play playing more. the main. I mean, he does don't hold every, me to it. He does this every year. He's got to play more. He's got to play the 25K 6 max. No, He's going no, no. to play. No. I learned my lesson there. It's never as soft as right. they advertise it to be. We'll see him there. Well, he says that. It's soft for you. He, he does this every year. He you says study. that, and then he'll see how many people are entering it, and he'll be like, how can I not play? There's 300 no, people. I'll, I'll tell you what. Gonna I'll tell you what. You're going to see somebody that like you don't think is that great bag a ton, and just be like, you know what? I regret playing the 25K 6 max, and I regret, no, only once last year. okay. Uh, and I regret not playing the 25k 8 max towards the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. The 25k 6 max was a reg fest. Are it you going to play? Such a you're going to swap this year? No, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go play cash. Question. But, are you yeah. going to play the 25k heads up? No. 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 What do you mean no? Ooh, you like, should play that. It man. just doesn't interest me. Are you going to? It, here, it here's is why kind of cool. No, here's one. why it doesn't interest me. I'm not good. Mm-hmm. So I'm going in as a dog. But even knowing that, I dog. know that I know that I can't be a big dog because it's just heads up tournament structure. Let me right? ask you this, Burke. The the schedule's coming out tomorrow, right? What would be, if this even exists, your dream tournament that you would see on there that you'd be like, wow, that's really cool. I'm actually excited to play that. What would what would it look like? Twenty five K, start with ten big blinds. Seven minute levels. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fucking go. 10K flip and go. Something realistic. Yeah, definitely 10K flip and go. <laughs> Would you be in for 40? 40 what? Bullets? No. <laughs> 40 bullets. How rich do you think I am? <laughs> uh, I think I would be excited to see a like 10K six max mystery bounty. 
They had that Tank? last they year, had right? that. No. They had a secret not. bounty, and uh, they didn't know what was the price pool was. It wasn't Six Max. Yeah, uh, it wasn't Six Max. Yeah. Six Max would be cool. I think, yeah. I think that would be cool. Um, six Max? Uh, more mystery yeah. bounties would the interest better. me a lot. <laughs> yeah. If, if there Everything were like a half dozen. Bounty. Yeah. <laughs> if there were like a half dozen mystery bounties, that right. would interest me a lot. Because That's, it really alters ICM a lot, mm -hmm. where I'm not as big of a dog any longer in the field. Right. Maybe they should just, for you alone, they should have something that's no ICM at all. Just winner take all. Just like 1K buy-in, 1,000 runners, million dollars first place. Mm -hmm. I think that would be really... I, I think more events should be that way, and then yeah. they should start facilitating chops. Like, mm. I, I, I think the easiest thing... The easiest way to get, like, massive turnout, in my opinion, not necessarily for the WSOP, but I think, like, I'm shocked more small tours don't do this, is just make everything winner take all, but facilitate chops. Mm. Right? So it's just like, you know, whenever you're talking about these smallish fields like call it the venetian mm -hmm. 1ks or whatever where they're gonna pay 18. fuck it let's just make it a million up top and then let them start wheeling and dealing whenever you get down it's a nightmare for the staff that's they, like they would never want to do right. it yeah that's like going to the roulette table and putting 1100 on one why because you just it'll never play to a winner I mean, people it want, won't, but, it, but, but and you'll get more fair payouts. So like now you don't have to worry about the bullshitty payout structures that are obviously horrific. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, like the this could just leader, be changed the, by the problem is the chip leader would never want, like would always keep deferring where we start the payouts. Like, so it would they be, they can't though. Yes, they can. No, if you have 38 big blinds as the chip leader, like you're like just as likely to bust within the next few spots as you are to win the whole fucking thing. Well, what if you have 100 leader. big blinds as the I mean, chip leader? I mean, even with 38 bigs and people have less than you, they're just going to be like, fuck you guys. I really think off. they should do this in the high roller circuit. Like these small fields where there's yeah. minimal edge to begin with, just make everything winner take all and then let them figure it out. That, I mean, would, that, that would actually be kind of interesting. Yeah. Don't mm -hmm. they kind of do that anyway when they're short? Fuck no. Maybe not make everything not, that way, like but have lines. events that do that. Huh? Isn't there like a decent amount of chops and like shit like that that happens behind closed doors? Yeah, of course. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. I'm saying make it winner take all. And then let them figure out the payout structure. Right? Because now all of a sudden, like if you're six handed with uh like like say you're playing a twenty five K where it's hundred runners and it pays twelve people and you get down to the final like nine and you know, there are three wrecks left. You ain't chopping. <laughs> Not until they're gone. When you I mean, say, it would be when really you say bad. let them figure it out, you're talking about the actual players. Yeah. yeah. It'd be, it would actually be really bad for the ecosystem, obviously, yeah. because the recreationals would just get fleeced. Mm -hmm. um, Doesn't Triton facilitate something like that? Wait, are we talking chops or winner take all? I think you guys are saying two different things. They're talking chops. I'm talking I don't chops. Know. Yes, yeah. everyone facilitates chops except WSOP. Oh, okay. Nobody mm -hmm. facilitates a winner take all format, oh, though, mm -hmm. uh, which I just think would be interesting because yeah. it, would just, it would literally be winner take all until they decide to chop it. Well, you just eliminate ICM completely. So it totally alters the oh. strategy. I wouldn't say you eliminate it completely. Because it's, you know that there's probably going to be a chop, and you so like you have to make it to the chop. Right? It's like it's very unlikely that it's just going to play down to winner yeah, take all. Yeah, but you just couldn't model it. So it would be harder to model it, you, but it would still exist. You're making winner take all decisions until mm -hmm. the chop is breached. Well, it's, you clearly just use WGS, which is whale game simulation. Correct. <laughs> so now you just stay in the tournament until you think the whale gets busted, and right. now you start talking chops. Exactly. Yeah. just cheat. So you, you say like, okay, like a whale V-pip, like you have to fold because you have to hope someone busts the whale, so now you can chop. Mm. Yeah. That's strategy. <laughs> That's that's next level. That's the next level mm -hmm. of tournament theory. Yeah. Keep, or, keep the whale out of the, in the <laughs> Or what would end up happening is all the regs would just like uniform swap amongst each other <laughs> so that they already chopped and then you would literally just play down to a winner. The old swap and yeah. chop. 
What about mm -hmm. you, Hunt? What are you excited for? What do you want to see? On I this like schedule? the idea of more mystery bounties. I think mystery bounties are a great format. I think that I would like to see more six max in the schedule. Um, just a little bit more in the in the region of the 1k to 3k mm -hmm. sort of buy-in range because I, I think people really yeah. like six max i feel like events. they shy away from those just because they take up too much space. i know i think that's the that's the just the logistical issue mm -hmm. you know um i would like to see what else do we have i would like to see them branching out a little bit obviously i wouldn't play these events but i would like to see them running games that haven't yet ever had a bracelet event i know they just ran a badoogie one like mm -hmm. last year or the year before um i'd like to see them i think they just started big o ones as well but mm -hmm. like just experimenting like I, I want like do like a tournament where it's like a three blind structure or something yeah. you know just do, do something be, weird it would be really smart ones. for them like you said with the mystery bounds for them to lean into like the popularity of them mm -hmm. and so i mean last year i think they had they had the uh Two. the 1k and then they had the the, the big one mm -hmm. i would like to see them have like maybe uh you know double that like four or five of them spread mm -hmm. out among uh, like all the all the uh, buying yeah. ranges. So they always run like these small events, right? Mm -hmm. They run these three hundred dollar tournaments, these four hundred dollar. As a tortoise, I would love to see a very like a small buy-in mystery bound, maybe a four hundred dollar where where you could pluck, I you don't know, think a half a million or something like that. No, a quarter, you're not quarter you, a million. But but I don't and, think I don't think that that's the right approach. Like, okay, well, I, I, well, <laughs> because as you de-escalate the the buy-in amount and you start to allocate more to the to the bounty prize pool, right? The rake becomes even more impactful no, I, than it already was yeah. and uh, not it's not just that but that, but also that's all smaller buying tournaments yes that's already well there's already a massive amount of rake but now you're leaving a big portion of the prize pool up to chance as yeah. well mm -hmm. so like you're not right. realizing you're but people even, love that i get that but but the point is the rake now becomes much more impactful on the actual skill part of the competition mm -hmm. because you're going to uh over short samples run way 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 yeah. way almost everyone's going to run below ev on mm -hmm. their bounties right you you can't like I, each bounty ends up being worth yeah. uh for instance in the 10k each bounty was worth ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars but uh only uh a certain percentage of the field is going to mm -hmm. pluck and the majority of them were 5k bounties yeah but i think when it's just a one-off once a year type of event then like you know and it's it's going to be fun for everyone then like if i don't think the rake's gonna just well that's the second part is it's not as much fun I mean? as you think you don't get big you don't get big bounties. You don't get like the meaningful moments of plucking a million dollar bounty and a bunch of hundred K bounties and stuff like that. I don't know, man. I mean, I think you'd have like a, I think if you ran a 400, I mean, if you run a thousand, if you run a thousand dollar one and you can get two, one million dollar bounties, you would have no problem running a $400 one and getting a quarter million dollar I, bounty. I feel like the issue in not just like the bounty structure, but the payout structure was like last year during mystery millions when Tyler won it. First was a million. Second was 500 K. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's nuts. Right, right. And mm -hmm. uh, I thought first was actually less than a million. I thought they did two $1 million bounties and first place was less than that. Yeah, first was a million. Okay, but either way, uh, yeah, you create this huge disparity now mm -hmm. in the regular prize pool. And um, when you're talking about like running a 400, let's say it crushes and does 10,000 runners, right? Now you it would do more, but yeah. Well, yeah, if you do like four starting flights or whatever. Well, they would. I'm, uh, I'm, okay. I'm, the yeah. homecoming mystery. If they did that. Yeah. They would do four. They would probably do four like Okay, so say I mean, it gets, look at the Colossus, it's, you know. Right, but what's the Colossus prize pool? It's like five million, um, give or take. Yeah, maybe six, five or six. Okay, million. so let's say it gets a five million dollar prize pool, and you allocate a third of that to the bounties. So now you have something in the neighborhood of like one point two million to the bounties, mm -hmm. but you have to pay, like you have to have a uh, thousand people 
give or take, or yeah. closer to like 1,200 people eligible for bounties. How's this different than the 1K? Um, well, there's problems with the 1K as well. Which we saw. Yeah, but I, like I, big problems. The, the, the reason why this is worse is because one, as I mentioned, the rake becomes more impactful at 20% or 19%, mm -hmm. whatever it is. But two, um, it, it's now this thing where like, as you start to regress to zero with the amount of money that is being charged up front slash the prize pool or whatever, you you start to notice the disparity more. We kind of gave the the million dollar one a pass. Or, I mean, maybe we didn't, like sharp people didn't, but like the general populace would give it a pass because three people became millionaires mm -hmm. out of this massive field, yeah. right? But then the next bounty down- That's was, the allure of the whole thing. Right, but, the, but then the next bounty down, I think was one 250K. And then the next bounty down from that was like, three or four hundred k bounties I thought, there was a, I thought there was a half a million and then a couple quarter million maybe I, I, but uh, i think there was yeah, okay was so maybe million. so yeah but and a couple quarter maybe two or three po quarter point million. is right. point is is that like 80 percent of the bounty prize pool was distributed amongst like 10 people yeah and they can fix that too i mean they can fit they can have one kind of one one instead of making like they made two one million because they wanted to say two one million dollar yeah. pools right they can and and you know they if, should fix that right and and if, if the community's like we don't want that then they can be like okay you know what we're just going to keep it always just one and if we get all this influx of more 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 entries then mm -hmm. we'll just spread it out more you mm -hmm. know maybe add add a few more quarter million i guess i guess should they fix it yes absolutely uh, i Why? i think well because you always as an operator want the money to be spread out. distributed of amongst the field yeah you don't ever yeah, want it pooling to just a couple of people right and so for the ecosystem it? huh so why'd they do it because they think that because it's better they think that, right right yeah. it's a marketing thing they, for sure. the same reason why they guarantee x amount for first place mm -hmm. in a bunch of events right, right? It, they they like to think that the recs are very attracted to the idea of playing for a specific amount at first place mm -hmm. or a specific big bounty two <laughs> yeah. big bounties i guess this yeah. is the problem that i have is that there's this duality where they believe that the recs are drawn to this massive lottery number but also that the recs need to have one and a half or two x min cash mm -hmm. in order to continue to return to events and that's ultimately what i'm trying to get at here is like if you do a very small stakes bounty like this and you allocate big numbers up top. The min cash, the min cash is like a I, I quarter think, of a buy-in. Yeah, no, I think um, it, I don't know if it's a quarter of a buy-in. I mean, it's gonna it's, be small. It's, 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 it's probably your money back. I know this because um, I min cashed. It yeah. was it was literally you get your money. You back. get your money yeah. back. And I think I'm pretty sure the Rex and you know the people that play these events already know that going into this, they understand that since so much money has to be allocated to the uh to the bounty then then they aren't going to get a 2x or a 1.5x return for a min sure. cash it, because essentially if you think about it it's if it's a 1k and you get a thousand back you're you're actually are 2xing because because half of that or whatever it is uh, three, 300 right goes to that so you are getting a one and a half x on your actual buy-in just the bounty, but you know, recreationals like, don't think that way. It's about yeah. No, I think they do. I think I, I, well, I think you're they, giving them not, not giving it, them enough credit. Okay, well, listen, I'm on board for that. But if mm -hmm. they do think that way, then the notion that they need to earn X amount on their return from mm -hmm. min caching is ludicrous. Yeah. I just don't think people care that much. I think it's a fun event. It's just a one-off once a year. Like I think if they ran a four hundred dollar, uh, you know, mystery bounty, it would be a huge success. It would be, it would smash and everybody would love it. That's but what would I think. the millionaire only get $780,000? Mm, that the real is, question. that mm -hmm. is a real question. Well, GG is attached to WSOP now, okay. so it's yeah. possible. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I, I agree with you that I think that they should be doing more 
throughout the prize pools. I just really struggle to dip below that 1K mark. Yeah. I, I just but, don't really see a reason for it. But I think they're they're leaning into it. They More and more every year, there's like an extra event that is under 1K and they're catering to, you know, the masses for anybody to come out to Vegas and play. How many events Series, under $1,000 do you think will be on the schedule this year? How many were on last year? I don't know. I thought just the opener, but I could be wrong. Or the oh opener my and the God, there's so many, so many more. It was the opener, the Colossus. There were so many $600 yeah, like four ones. Four or five, day. Yeah. $600. There effects. was like 10. Yeah, maybe I, more. I honestly think it was eight to 10 events. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there was the opener. There was the opener, the Colossus, and they do what, the 600 turbos like once a week or they something like that? They did 600 deep stack once a week. They, they do have, an 800 deep stack. $500 freeze out. They have the $500 salute to Warriors charity event as well. Got a salute to Warriors. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they, there's a lot of them. They have a them. bunch of stuff these mm -hmm. days. And I, and I bet there's just as many, if not more, this year. I mean, it sounds like they're better likelihood to be more than yeah, less. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I would think, too. Yeah. And I mean, I understand yeah, maybe, that. And, that, and maybe yeah. this is my, my underlying point is that this is why I don't care. Like, the dollar continues to go down in value, and so do the buy-in levels. That, that just doesn't coincide with me. Right. And that's why you sense. see the... But that's why you see the entries going up. I mean, obviously... So that, that's but what they want to see. But we see the entries see. go up across the board. They go up at the higher buy-ins too. So that doesn't really track either. Like the notion that somehow they wouldn't still just get 20,000 person flights well, of course for they're a 1K gonna go Colossus. Up. No, but, but, but of course they're going to go up because you said the, the dollar's devalued. That's still part of it. So that they go up. They also go up in the, uh, the higher ones because the higher ones are cost less than they would have 10 years ago. Right. My point is then you don't need the small buy-in. You would just see an increase on 1Ks anyway. Right? You would see a larger 1K field regardless. It just doesn't track that we should continually get closer and closer and closer to $0 that it, for the cost to play a WSOP event whenever the actual worth of a dollar continues to drop. Right? It should be the opposite direction. You should see 5Ks start to become 7,500. Yeah. Right. I mean, if that was the case, then the, the, the main event should be a 25K by now, but it's just not going to be. Right, and fine. Like we, people to I, don't, I don't think we care about... Uh, a price point where the majority of regular people still feel pain, mm -hmm. but you know, where does it stop? What if you have a hundred dollar buy-in for a bracelet? Right. Yeah. Like, is that okay? I no, mean, I, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I would probably say not. I mean, they, they basically sometimes do online. They don't, they have like, like $200. So th ones? Yeah. this is, this is the point I'm trying to make, um, right? Like it's easy for you to advocate for 500s because that's in your price point, And it's easy to see that 100s is obviously too diluted. Yeah. But 500s is in, is in most people that there was like play tournaments. 13, 14 events, by the way, like in that three. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a that's lot. lot right? There are how many? 13. 13, yeah. Like b between mixed game, between PLO, mm -hmm. no limit. Out, yeah. out of like yeah. 90, right? So like a sixth of the events are under one. Like a good game, amount of yeah. them are just mm -hmm. small buy-in tournaments, mm -hmm. which is right. cool. Yeah. And yeah, and I mean like, you know, that requires a lot of, of resources on their part. So they jack up the rake. and Yeah. Well, also I think it's because this is kind of a new thing, right? Like you go back 10 years, there weren't any thing under 1k and now now that they did it they saw they were popular and they brought more people in so then they're going to continue to make more but i don't think i i think i don't think their their plan is to just keep dropping and keep dropping and keep dropping like i why? don't think you're ever going to see a one hundred dollar why it's happened year over year well, do you think we'll see a 300 dollars buying this year we had one yes okay we do already you think, had one okay so right. you see what i'm saying yeah. year over year it continues to get smaller why wouldn't we see a 250 it doesn't continue to I, get smaller year i over think that i think uh, the thing that we're missing here is is that the average i think if you look if you track the average mm -hmm. buy-in level of wsop what's happening is the bottom end is expanding in that we're getting more of these 
we're getting more of these lower buy-in events, but we're also getting a hundred K, a 250 K. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're that far away from them trying to do another million dollar buy-in at WSOP a 500 K, something right. like that. Right. Right. They are they're, going the other way. They're too. just like expanding in both directions, mm -hmm. I think. And they're also adding more 25 Ks, like a 50 K PLO mm -hmm. shit like that, you know? So and and really once branching. they, once they decided to, to uh, start implementing these tournaments that were um, less than a thousand, mm -hmm. it wasn't like every year it just got less and less and less. It was just like, we were gonna do like 300 to a thousand and, and it's anywhere in between. And it's just been that way. Wait, when did they run the first 300? Like a long, like there was a 365 year, event in yeah, like a few years ago, five years ago, maybe. They did, giant, they did the giant, ago. yeah, five or six yeah. years ago. Yeah, it's okay. been, it's been yeah. a while. Yeah, I, I don't think the expanding of the top matters because there's a big difference uh, between the two. When you expand at the bottom, it requires the full facility to be occupied. When you expand to the top, it requires a corner in the room. Literally, um, all the high stakes events are in uh, Paris Purple. Yeah. yeah, it's like taking up five tables right at yeah. most, yeah. right? So, but, do you think if uh, the schedule comes out tomorrow and it's all one cage, you think you or higher? You think everybody be? You think more people would be happy or upset? I think uh, the general. I think short community. term. I think short term. Whatever whatever the response was wouldn't really matter. But I think long term, if we were to compare field size average field size of the 300 buy-in range compared to like the 1k buy-in range i still think the 1ks are doing better proportionally speaking i don't think so you think I, that I've, they're do you think there's greater than 3x the players in the 300 yeah uh yeah i just don't i mean like if you look at like the millie maker versus the colossus uh or not the millie maker uh the the millidar bounty or whatever like compared to the Colossus. Well, the Million Dollar Bonnie was That's a special, special event. And it like was all like the one very, Why can't they all yeah. be special right, events? Right, all the one case have like a special title. Like this podcast title. every day is a very special episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Welcome like, to yeah. a very special WSOP mm -hmm. event. That's what I mean. Con like Conrad hosting the WSOP. Yeah. That's that, what we that, need. That's easy to say, but like uh, you, you compare one to one, right? You would compare the giant to the, the, the uh, Million Dollar uh, Bounty because I mean, they the both have a name. The giant had like, 30 some thousand people in it. Okay. But, that you, but, like that. but you don't think you don't think the million what, dollar the bounty case, had 10k? How many 1k's get 10 10,000 people? The bounty, I'm sure. The bounty did. It, the bounty sure did. did. Yeah. For yeah. sure it did. It came close but, probably. Yeah. I'm not, but I don't that's know exactly the only the 1k that gets 10,000 people. Yeah, but that's the only right. 300 that gets 30,000. You see what I mean? Like, I think if you did, like, I, I think if you, you just did a comparison of one yeah, to if, the other. If, if, if you, so maybe it is close. It, may, it them, might be close to one to one, I right? So if it's close to one to one, then that that's that's why my argument, I think. But now is, you just shut out uh, two thirds of the people to play play these events. But you're not. Right? That's the point. Why? Because, what do you mean? Because that's all. There's there's, a, there's literally only thirty three percent of the people that would be playing. As opposed to the smaller binds. There's 33% of the, the total entrance, but we don't know what the uniques are. The overlap there, if we did a Venn diagram of the two, the overlap is very vast. Like, it's, it's not like, you know, there's only a sliver of people that regardless, play 300 regardless, of you're, you're, Regardless, you're, you're, you're shutting out a lot more people, and I, I don't think that's a good thing for poker. There's a lot of people that don't play 1Ks. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that come out, they, they, they okay. come out, they're excited to play their one or two events. The that homecoming are under, was what? Right, under 600? I think that yeah. makes sense. Like, use all the resources at the start and then, like, don't run. Like, yeah, a it's small, one event. Like, a small tournament thing again. Like, running two 300s doesn't really make much sense. I think you guys forget, sense. like, how how much of a negative experience these events uh, push, push on to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, they suck for a lot of people. They suck for us that are going to play out more of the events. And 
that they don't suck for the person that's only going to play one or two events. I, I totally agree with you. I also think that there's something to be said about like, you know, quote unquote, earning your way into the arena. You know what I mean? Like if you're still going to get 10,000 runners for a 1K, do we need 35,000 people for a 300? I mean, or can you just like, you know, save up or work your way into a 1K or satellite or, you know, I don't so think that, creating some also, barrier of entry also to that, WSOP that $300 is bad. event that they ran was like, I'm pretty sure it was like spread out over like the whole summer. Yeah, like I the thought that, that events were spread out over I the thought whole that was summer. Good. And it was like at like at a night. Lot of, yeah, flights were at night, like after 7 p.m. And it was a super turbo. Yeah, I beginning. thought that was good. So yeah, I thought that was a good right. idea, but that's mm -hmm. not what they're doing now. I think they yeah. should do a lot more of running additional like turbo flights at night or super turbo Agreed. flights for stuff because it's a really great way to boost the fields for some of the events that maybe wouldn't get them as wouldn't get as much otherwise and maybe you only have one starting mm -hmm. day or something you can just add like a evening flight with a fast structure that people can play and it's like they're done by like one or two a.m and yeah. then you can like bag for day two and that would have to be the only option though because if, if they still had an option to play like a normal one during the day then everyone would play that and it would not necessarily i think that i think there would be plenty of people who like you guys like conrad firing at night every yeah, night yeah i mean like i know but they, i'm saying that also fired during the day yeah i i, right, but I agree yeah. with both of you yeah, yeah. i think I, I think that you would you would certainly get a lot of overlap like the the napt did this basically like mm -hmm. the napt they had the the 1600 like daytime flight with a normal kind of a structure and then a lot of the people who busted that day would fire the evening flight. Mm -hmm. But even if that evening flight is pretty reg heavy, it still is adding a bunch to the prize pool. Like it's, it's right. boosting these prize pools and it's doing it at a time when it's not very resource intensive for them to manage like having additional mm -hmm. players. So I think for these events where there's a lot of regs, there's a lot of WSOP events who, where regs like me are basically just gonna fire as many bullets as they need to fire mm -hmm. in order to get into day two. If you're going to do that, you may as well add a bunch more flights, boost the prize pools, make it more attractive for the wrecks. You know? I, I think yeah. the bigger conversation, though, that is getting overlooked again is like how resource intensive the, the, the early flights are. Like, I, I can't be the only one who remembers how miserable of an experience it is to start at 10 a.m. and bag at 3, p or 3 a.m. Oh, right. that's terrible. I, but yeah. that's a byproduct of running these low buy-in yeah. large fields. They mm -hmm. have to do that. You that, have to log great. the hours. It's not great, but it also gives other people opportunity, I think. I don't think it's worth the opportunity. I, I definitely heard... I, I, I mean, I've had experiences where players who were obviously rec players were complaining a lot about that specifically right. yeah they, I, I think i think they should they could uh you know just tweak the structures so they don't have so that doesn't that well, doesn't happen what, take out some levels what right? would you suggest right now take, it's 30 would, minute just, turbos yeah of course right with less levels. yeah but but they're already 30 minutes i mean like, that, but that's well, what i'm saying so how do you get three more hours eliminated from the event yeah but I, I, personally, these weren't all going to 3 a.m i don't know what that why you pulled that number up because, because like, the homecoming was, i played right, till 245 busted right, that and was, didn't bag. yeah that was a couple few years ago and they they've they changed the structure since then so what like, was the structure last year for the opening event like you were like you would get out of there at like midnight for yeah. which wait for the uh, what for was the gladiator the gladiator yeah you would be out of there yeah you'd bag it like midnight i don't know i ain't back i feel like yeah. i don't know i got in line to play that and i didn't have my id so then i didn't play it <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah i mean maybe that's true I'm one, yeah. one thing yeah. i would like to see them do or one thing i would like to see at least some tournament series do is speeding up the levels in the first half of day one basically just not not having day one as a whole be faster 
but just that first two hours, first four hours of play, like it's okay to do a pretty turbo-y kind of structure. Right, you don't have point. to start with 300 big blinds. Yeah, you know, start like with 100 you, big I, blinds. I, and I get, I get the idea that recs want to have like playing time. They want to, mm -hmm. you don't want them to be buying in for like 100 bigs and potentially busting really quickly. But it's also like you, you don't need to have six hours of 150 plus big blinds deep play at the beginning of a tournament because a lot of people just are not going to show up for that. Well, I don't, I don't think, I don't think the World Series has this problem. No, I just mean like, like I, mean, I, I was exaggerating, but like you can, you can speed it up if, if it's the choice between speeding up the first few levels and finishing at two a.m. Speed up the first few levels, like you, right. you absolutely don't need to finish. Totally, at 2 totally agree with you, but yeah. that's from our perspective. Or just eliminate the first. Or just eliminate the events. Like that's that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Is, well, the thing is, here's the thing: we can't. The we doomsayer. Can't, we we, we no, obviously can't. That. We obviously can't have it all, right? We can't mm -hmm. have it all. We can't have everybody inclusive, and then you know, it, like not play late, and then we can't like do all these things. So like, it, right. it's never going to be perfect. Right. right. Here's my. So that's point. why they try to just give a little bit for everybody. Here, well, they, they don't though. The, the, these events are. We can all agree these events are targeting recreationals. They're they're targeting mm -hmm. the lowest buying crowd. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, what do they want out of this? They want turnover, but they want to offer them a pleasant experience, mm -hmm. right? So, it's slow in the beginning and then fast thereafter. It's last. If you come on time, you will be offered a structure that would allow you to last a few hours, have a good time, have a pleasurable experience, and then get your ass out of there, right? But from that point forward, now you have incredibly long lines. You have a very long day ahead of you. Um, they they have a difficulty with breaks. These breaks are extending, like color breaks are extending for I mean, forty five you know, plus I, minutes. I played the, I played a lot of these small buying events. I never stood in line very often, not not that often. Did you re-enter? I yes. I think something that might be getting lost here a little bit is Burke. You might not have experienced how much better it is at Horseshoe in Paris than what it was at the Rio. Right, way better. Oh, yeah. No, I, I played I played the homecoming <laughs> at, at Paris. I played four flights of it. Okay, but I mean. That was literally the first event they yeah. ever hosted And it was there. horrible. Yeah, and I think that you might not have seen some of the stuff that went last mm -hmm. year where they actually did make some pretty good improvements in how smooth it was. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's all the I'm bra saying. Ha having the, the bra load your Bravo up and, and just print your ticket They've out. They've been a lot like, more yeah. efficient. That's, that's that always been that's the always case. That's always existed. Right? People yeah. don't do that. But, okay. I, but I think it's 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 become they, more popular now. They have been a lot more, they've they been all a lot, work a lot now better before, at encouraging yeah. people to do that. Right, exactly. I'm seeing rec players doing that that mm -hmm. I never saw before. Right, and that just helped eliminate How did that alleviate the lines though getting people reset? Because that's the only line I'm talking about getting you mean getting people when you're in line late, late reg line no, dude, yeah. the line is fucking terrible yeah like, regardless I, what they I, said the line is terrible the, I was literally i've seen lines go all the way out to the actual casino i mean don't get me wrong there's still problems i'm just saying no that, like, no, no no yeah yeah that, that's not my point a lot of what you're you're saying might be just be based on like that one event at the very very beginning of oh, Paris. Oh, I what, think, what i'm saying is late reg lines i'm, I'm basically talking about resource intensive things mm -hmm. right so there just aren't gonna be a lot if the structure starts off relatively slow which it always will because they, you understand that the, the WSOP was the absolute last tour in America to implement the big blind ante and to get rid of no anti-poker. Mm -hmm. They had mm -hmm. the first two levels, no anti-poker, years after not another tour in on earth played no anti-poker. Mm -hmm. And it was based off of this, the recreationals want to play no anti-poker bullshit. Right? So they're incredibly slow to adopt to what is best for the overall structure of the event. Yeah in lieu of what they believe is making amateurs happy. And 
you know, when I'm, when I'm framing this conversation of like, do we actually need these small buy-ins? Like, uh, somebody in the chat posted, why can't, uh, Berkey just admit that smaller buy-ins help the poker community can't all be high stakes. Okay, fine. I agree with you, uh, to a point, but at what point, or, or let me rephrase the question. How are small buy-ins helping the community whenever they're facing 18 to 21% rake? whenever they are creating a negative experience where people are standing in line to be sat for hours, whenever they are clogging up the resources to run other events. Yeah, I think you're just highlighting the bad, bad portions of the experience and not, not highlighting the, the good portions okay. of the experience. I, I like, also, like, I, I do think that um, one thing that you point out that is really important to this whole thing is that I don't think a lot of the low stakes players and a lot of recs understand how hard they're getting fleeced by 18 to 20 percent rake right that, that like, is true right I, do they I care? think that so that's why i'm yeah, asking right right care. right, right. Like, so they're 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 none the wiser fine mm -hmm. but i am wiser so what i'm asking then is how do rake traps help the community because the argument against what i'm saying because people is that, show up because they don't care because they can this is the buy-in that they can really afford a trap? but but how is that helpful <laughs> because they show up okay I understand what I, I hear you. Yeah, maybe it's offset by how many people now get interested in poker because, like, look how many more people come out to play these events than have in but the if, past. If the house breaks them, how does that help the community? It's like GG having a really high rake structure, structure right? How does that more help? rake is better, Burke? How does that help the ecosystem? Whenever like uh, Patrick Howard puts out a tweet yesterday that demonstrates nobody is beating GG's rake mm -hmm. from like 100 NL up without rake back. How does that help the ecosystem, right? Like they have the most games in all. Well, how how, how, all of how keep poker. increasing the barrier entry? How does that help the ecosystem? It's not. But I, I never argued to increase it. But it would increase it if you it's increase the buyings. It's been one k forever. Here's uh, here's another aspect of this, right? That and inflation. You, you, you bring up cheaper. you bring up Patrick Howard's point. It's it's a uh, it's a really good thing to bring up because the level of rake is going to affect who wins and who loses. Mm -hmm. There are going to be players who when they're getting raked at 18% are not winning, but mm. who if they were getting raked at 12% or 10% are winning, right. right? So the barrier to entry that Brian's talking about, on some level, yeah, it is the absolute number of what the buy-in is. But on another level, on a long-term level, it's at what buy-in level can certain players actually win yeah. and sustain themselves within the economy, right? No, so that's true, right? part of the reason why the low buy-in levels are unsustainable for some players is like you say, Burke, they, the, the house fleeces them with this high rake. They go broke because they can't win because the rake is so high. Right. And they would be possibly winning if they were able to play with lower rake. So the, the issue here, I think, a lot of the time is going to be how do we keep the rake level at the low stakes at a, a, a level where the house is incentivized to run these events because they're making a good mm -hmm. amount of money from them, but... The rake is low right. enough that the, the, the greatest percentage of the player pool is at least breaking even or only marginally losing so that certain players don't just go broke in these events really quickly because they, they can't overcome and, the rake. And that's, right? that's, in a nutshell, my argument. At the 1K level, we see a rake somewhere between 11 and 13%, which is going to, by and large, be beatable. And this is a simple byproduct of it requires less resources. At the 300 level, you require so many extra resources in dealers, in staffing, in uh, you know all of the tables being utilized and everything else that they have no choice but to raise the rake. Yeah. Right. So you'd like to see a higher buy-in, less people at the World Series. 
I, I don't think that that's no. I'm that's no, no. right. Yeah, but but yeah. I, I I think it's bad, I feel like it's bad phrasing. It doesn't help to grow though. Well, I also don't. But think... That, but that's what would happen. I don't. Right? Th- I don't there think would the be foot way less people at the at the event. I think if we were to measure foot traffic, it would be one to one. I don't think the foot traffic at the World Series has significantly increased, like by magnitudes. Wow, I do. You, I, you I, think I, that I, it went from like twenty five thousand uniques to like a hundred thousand because they had three hundred? I don't know the buy-ins? exact numbers, but I know it's definitely, definitely increased over the last few years for I know, sure. I would definitely say that I'm with tortoise i would definitely yeah. say that there's a lot i think of it's gone up way more. I, yeah. i'm not saying that it hasn't gone up i'm saying that it hasn't gone up as a byproduct of the smallest buy-ins like the people that were it, coming here to play 400 dollars deep stacks at the venetian either were or were not playing wsop events. wsop still has like deep stacks every day right like, yeah they yeah. have yeah they have it's the, like a couple hundred bucks to play yeah, it's like i think it's mm-hmm. 225 it, can't, it gets canceled a lot because they can't find the space but yeah they have like, a deep if, stack they have a nightly daily what if they just or nightly had the higher buy-in tournaments but also ran the lower stakes dailies i i think my frustration here is the wording that we like we're we're somehow referring to 1k as a higher buy-in right right like this is by all accounts in mtt land it's is low stakes, low stakes. Live tournaments yeah it's like there shouldn't be a 150 fucking bracelet event like and and the thing is i think we can all acknowledge that so why is the line of demarcation at right. 365 and, there, and there's not and there's like i don't even know if they are even running 300 dollars. like i mean maybe it's like four or five hundred whatever is the minimum like, i think I that there's a good chance we'll see their lowest buy-in this year their lowest it's, ever, it's ever. Be, so you're be, saying to be I mean, under 300 was yes. a 300 so you think it's gonna be like a 250 i think i think that there's a really really strong chance we will see the smallest buy-in we've ever seen at the world series like a 250 year. with x percent rake but nobody really cares because they want the experience of playing a bracelet event i would yeah. bet it's 365 65 i would bet that it's lower i would also take the lower under sorry lower no lower. lower is right <laughs> and it's, it's slightly off topic i have a theory book i have yep. a theory about your excitement level on this podcast okay i think it correlates to the hat that you're wearing okay when you're, when you're wearing that beanie hat you're like Pissed. yeah you're you're mad or you're like less hyped about stuff yep. if we come in and you're wearing the backwards baseball cap mm-hmm. you're always you're excited go. you're like ready mm-hmm. to go you're ready to go out and play yeah. like yeah. this is emo this, burkey uh, right yeah. here that's right. <laughs> it's, like a, it's a distinct it's difference it's not about the beanie I, I mean, if i show up to do this podcast and you're wearing that hat i'm like oh, oh he's gonna be arguing with everything today like, <laughs> no 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 it's not that it, it's like look, I, I i'm not trying to disqualify any of your opinions i think that you guys are very right in what you're saying and i think you're making very good points with regard to not only why these events exist but why they potentially could be a benefactor to the community at large my counter is just that i think it's only a benefactor to the wsop brand and i also think that there's a chance long term that it's detrimental Mm -hmm. uh and look i'm I am playing a little bit of devil's advocate. The truth is, at the end of the day, I don't fucking care. It's not my brand. <laughs> like, I don't care what yeah. the World Series does. If they want to light their fucking doors on fire, let them. If they want to run a million-person, one-dollar buy-in and have the biggest field oh of all God, time, that'd be so awesome. Like, let them. I, d- I don't care. <laughs> I'm in. But I'm going to have a billion I, people. I, I can fire, like, ten bullets into that thing. Right, but it's like... <laughs> but, I'm only doing it because it's good value to you. But I'm going to have I'm gonna have an opinion on it right because i think that there is some part of the community that recognizes what these things do uh bigger picture and i think bigger picture still is going to matter 
I understand where Brian's coming from because it's like he can play a full WSOP schedule now where mm-hmm. there's no way that would have been the case if it's 1Ks and above, right? Like his full schedule might be five events if it's 1Ks and above, whereas like last year, I don't know, would you have 15 on the schedule, 18? I mean like over 20. Probably. Over 20, Well, right? like with, with the re-entries, yeah. Right, so sure. his average 20. buy-in was probably like 750 bucks and he played like 20, 25. That's, I get it. Like that's that's the dream of everybody. But like from my perspective, it's like, well, and you know this sounds a little i had to walk uphill both ways to school type of (laughs) of fist waving but it's like you know when we were coming up you had to earn your way to the world series like i didn't play the world series my first three years as a professional i was grinding Uh, and i would go there and i would play sit and goes and try to like find my way into an event Mm -hmm. here there i would play satellites online and get my way into the main whatever and that's just okay. That's a healthy ecosystem is to have your biggest, most premier tour that exists in the entire community a little bit out of reach for some aspects of it. And WSOP has grown year over year from what we've seen recently. I think you all know? I think all tours have. So like right? the main event gets bigger too. Yeah. So it's not just like, oh man, like the small buyers are gonna help exactly. the tournament to grow. I think that's a really a, a really good point bring up right is that the main event hit a record number last year that's mm-hmm. not a small buy-in so that almost is yeah. certain well, they to demonstrate went all, they went all out on satellites throughout across the, the world sure actually. so like, would yeah, we rather yeah. that they put 365 dollars satellites to the main than a 365 dollars bracelet event i mean they are they do both so <laughs> sure yeah here's a here's a suggestion what if they were to take all the buy-ins under 1k and Get, give that segment of the buy-in range its own branding. Make them ring events instead of bracelet events and make them a big part of the schedule, but then say bracelet events are only going to be 1K and up. I would be okay with that if they, yeah. if they started it three weeks earlier. And they like started got the, the ring start events the series. Right. My big thing, it first. has nothing to do with the bracelet. It has nothing to do mm-hmm. with diluting the brand. It has everything to do with taking up too many resources. Yeah, I mean, I... I it, it's a negative experience for the majority of people that aren't playing small stakes. I think if we if we look at it through the lens of we want WSOP to do whatever allows them to run lower rake events, like mm-hmm. whatever doesn't force them to be charging 18 to 20% rake, I think that's a really solid argument of why it's bad for the community that, you know, that we have these situations because if it's putting them in a position where they have to charge super high rake in order to make it viable, you now are creating a, <coughs> inherently you're creating a situation where those events are very difficult for anybody. Well, not anybody, but like it's hard to be winning in those events for Rex mm-hmm. and creating events where Rex can win is really good because it makes them sustainable. And it means that, they are much more likely to continue, you know, potentially progressing up through the buy-ins and, and playing more events at higher levels and things like that. I don't think you necessarily want these high rake events where a lot of the players are getting crushed by the pros, but a lot of the players are just getting crushed by the house as well. Right. You know? The housewarming uh, was rake free. The what, sorry? <laughs> I said the housewarming was rake That's free. That's great. I mean, yeah. do more no, of that, right. you know? Yeah. Do more yeah, of that. That would be great. Wait, if how, they was, did... how was it rake free? Hmm? Your first entry was rake free. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Wow, I had no idea. How, I, I remember how, that now. how I remember big that was now. the rake on a re-entry? Fifty percent. No, I'm just kidding. I I'm mean, just, honestly, it like, was a normal, normal whatever what they so like do for eighteen like, to twenty-one or something I, like that. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but I, I just know that the first, uh, the first um, entry was rake-free. I yeah. think your main. I think that's really great. Your main point here. They should do that like every year, maybe. Yeah. Your main point mm-hmm. here is that if 
they can get away with the $300 tournament, what's stopping them from having a $100 tournament? Exactly. Where they rake $50 X amount, and now it's like, oh, people just want a chance 50. to win a bracelet. Yeah. And now it's like, well, a hundred plus fifty, and they guarantee first mm -hmm. first place to be like half a million. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, well, right? I People think I think there's just there is a line. There has to be a line. They're not going to run a one dollar tournament, right? So like, there has to be a line somewhere. <laughs> Don't be so sure, buddy. I'm telling. I mean, okay, it, I will. You want to bet? <laughs> in the next fifteen years, they don't run a one dollar bracelet event. Book it. <laughs> Lay me a price, and I, I will take that bet. Uh, all right. What, I don't what, know. Five to one. You think it's twenty percent that they'll do it? Give me ten to one, and you got to you got to bet. 10 to 1 10 in to the one. next 15 $1 years. $1 yeah. flipping go. <laughs> All right, you got it. Okay, what are we betting? I don't care. All right. <laughs> my, wait, my $10. wait, hold on. My, this can't be online, right? My 100 to your 1,000. No, hey, not online. Why? Right? This Why couldn't they just run a day one online? Because we're talking about live events where it's... Yeah. It'll be a live event. He tried to scum you. I'm talking about live events. I, I think that... Listen, if GG takes over WSOP, I think you will absolutely see a day one $1 event. Uh, where day two is like it's gonna be like a quantum you can buy into day two I, for I, you know but you you probably don't have an issue with that because it doesn't i don't it right that's I, think it's, I think that's, that, I think this is what here. they should do for the 365s right, right. Like if you want to run a 300 dollars event run day one online yeah and then either i'm make all for, it a quantum I'm all for that too i think that that that's yeah, fine yeah make it either a quantum structure mm -hmm. where you can just buy in day two for 40 bigs yeah. and it costs you 10x mm -hmm. Or don't, yeah, and just have people play into day two where it becomes live, and now you have you know fifteen percent yeah. of the. Yeah, or have there. an option, right? Have an option to play both, maybe. Is your only issue with this the amount of resources yes. it takes for the events that you're they're yes. trying to run? Yeah. yeah, and those resources could better be used elsewhere. Yeah, I think if you're going to crowd five thousand people into the space, it should be spread out over a myriad of events so that there isn't an issue with like seating and waiting and stuff, right? Because if it's one single event then that means that as everybody busts, all those people are getting right back in the re-entry line. And the line is worth, just infinite. I played a decent amount of events last year, and I feel like the longest I ever waited was like 25, maybe 30 minutes on nah, the re-entry nah. line. I waited, I waited one, an hour and a half, and then I didn't have one, my ID and just went back to that. There went was one the event, I don't remember which Literally, one it was, where I was like, I, oh, I waited a long time. 300. Mm -hmm. The Gladiator was the I, event. I might not even no. play that. Way too long. I just remember there being a line that literally went into the horseshoe I, I remember showing up for an event yeah. last year and uh, getting my ticket from the machine after paying on Bravo, then seeing that after getting my ticket, it was going to be at least two hours until I was able to get a seat. So I unregged and went to the win instead. Like, I remember that mm -hmm. happening. So there was definitely some stuff where it was like, you have your ticket. You're registered for the event, but we can't yeah. seat you for right. hours and, from this point. And I don't think it's like every smaller buying event was like that. Especially but there was not times, especially yeah. not the like the the rant like the maybe the like the special ones that have like the guarantee on it or like but like the the five hundred dollar freeze out or the well obviously it's a freeze out so it's not gonna have that. But like, you know, the six hundred dollar deep stacks that they have, they, 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 they there was no issue. I would be with totally that. into that for what it's worth. If you want to make every buy-in under 1K a freeze-out, I'm sold. I'm fucking in. Yeah. I totally like, totally Just sold. one buy-in freeze-out. Mm -hmm. If you're done, you're done. Goodbye. Like, yes. that's it. Yeah, because yeah. that would definitely free up resources. On your bike. For sure. And you know what will happen? Mm -hmm. You'll change your tune about that buy-in level. Because those prize pools are going to go down drastically. Right. but do anything good. Well, that's, that's ultimately my point. If we, I like freeze-outs, though. You know? If we look at like a small buy-in freeze-out <laughs> and we see that the numbers drastically get obliterated, then we recognize that it's not a one-to-one -one comparison to its 1K counterpart, right? Because a 1K freeze-out will do 
numbers. It'll do three three thousand people. No, I think. Oh no! I think, don't get me wrong. If you run a one, like if you run a one k freeze out compared to like a, a non freeze out, it's going to be the no, same no, thing. No, as no, a three. that's not what I'm comparing. I'm comparing one to one. Right. If you run a one k freeze out, it's going to do numbers. It's going to get three thousand thirty five hundred people. And if you do a three hundred three hundred dollar freeze out, out, it's not going to get twelve thousand people. Uh, mm, I, I would say it's going to get at least know. six or seven. Okay, well, that's do the math. Crunch More numbers. people are showing up to the 1K then. What about a $500? No. So, so it's uh, two uh, to one. Fine. Listen, <laughs> I'm just saying. I would like, like to experiment right. that route. Like, right. let's take all the small <laughs> buy-ins and make them freeze out. No, because it's a, it's, a bit, it's a big difference between having to try to get, like, I think, like, a lot of people that play the 300 will also play a 500, but maybe a lot of people that play that won't play the 1K, right? So it's like, um, you know, it's comparing one getting uh, three, whatever one getting ten thousand compared to one getting thirty three hundred. Question compared is, to 5, does this in. actually grow poker? I personally don't think so. At I all. don't think so. I think people will show up and play one day event and like they'll have a good time and stuff. But does it grow the I, ecosystem? I don't think so. That's that's kind of good, Matt. So. I, I I feel like this is another area where it's like we feel like we have an instinct for it. What grows poker and what helps, but we, we, we don't, don't know. ultimately know. Yeah. Like I, I, I would hope that the people who are doing this stuff, like the people who are managing WSOP and deciding the schedule, things like that, I would hope they have data to show this is what grows poker, this is what doesn't, right? This is what's good for the e ecosystem, this is what's not. But we, I mean, I know, Buck, you talked to Jack Effel a fair amount or have in the past, but we don't have that info, we don't have that data, and I mean, it's hard for us when we're flying in the dark. To, to be know? fair, their data is going to be very anecdotal. It's... The World Series has only been in existence for what forty some years, over fifty. Well, I just like mean years, like right? year on year. Like we don't have the the hard info about how much their traffic right. increases. Like, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that like uh, for people who are like analyzing data, like just inflation could grow poker by that metric. Oh yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I guess I just basically the way I look at it is I feel like with WPT. I have enough confidence in the people that run WPT to think that they're smart enough to really understand how to to know what is growing and what's not growing poker. Yeah. With WSOP, I don't have that confidence because yeah. I don't necessarily feel like I I fully <laughs> trust that they're making decisions in a way that's informed as opposed to just vibes, you know, like I what totally whatever. Totally agree with you and I think yeah. that's why we're saying mm -hmm. our instincts matter a little bit here. Yeah. Um, because I, th I feel like it's a lazy argument to always just gravitate towards lowering the monetary barrier of entry is what will grow the game. If the game suddenly became free, I don't necessarily think, uh, like, if, if somehow it became free with the uh, availability to win prizes, um, you know, maybe like a Candy Crush type of thing or something like that. The stigma kind of changes. That's it. Stigma would change, and I think it would become more... I, I think you're right. It would become more... Um, the underworld goes away because right. now it's above board. The society of it all would It's like, would oh, be like now you're not accepting. risking money. You can just win free prizes or right. whatever. Right, but if if out of all of that, the operator was still like taking a cut somehow, or maybe maybe the barrier entry is not free, but but low. A couple dollars here and there. I don't necessarily think that we see... A monthly subscription. Well... <laughs> WPT runs that model, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's the Club WPT. Club WPT, yeah. And Club mm -hmm. GG as well have the same thing, I think, right? No, Club GG is an app. Ah, okay. Uh, it's just the same as Poker Bros. W Club WPT is where you like pay monthly and you get like, pay, like 15 like, three bucks rolls, a month. Oh, wow. I, okay, I completely didn't know what Club GG was then. Never mind. Yeah, uh, Club GG is very fascinating to me. I would love to know more because I don't understand how it's affiliated to GG. 
Yeah, it's I. Yeah, like right? but it's like fascinating because it's there's millions of dollars being risked on Club so GG many every day. That GG yeah. does that I don't understand and I don't know. <laughs> right, it's like about. it's 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 strange <laughs> to everywhere. me. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, it's strange to me because they're making a push to be regulated. But imagine if like WSOP just launched, uh, like they have a play app I think that was bought by Playtica, whatever it is, like WSOP app or something. Yeah, like is that. it landing a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sponsor what, for it? What, what was what, the name of Play WSOP? Play WSOP, right? Now imagine uh, that formerly, they... Formerly, not anymore. Okay, but now imagine that Play they WSOP... Imagine Play WSOP... Uh, and granted, I don't think WSOP owns it anymore. I think they just licensed their name. But either way, imagine that that just started offering uh, app games where real money was being wagered at like a grandiose scale. There's just no way in a regulated market that would fly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would get shut down so quick. You would think... You would think they would almost have to. Like you would think that they would be risking their license some capacity. So it's very weird to me that GG has this offshoot of uh, you know an app where it's just basically out there in the black market, similar to the way that Poker Bros and PPP Poker and all these other apps are out there. Millions is being wagered every day. I'm in a club where you know we're playing 100, 200 with a 400 dollar ante. So it's like just this single table. Is having hundreds of thousands of dollars exchange hands every day, every day that's that it runs. Wild, right? And that's one fucking table. Mm -hmm. One table. Forget about all the influencers that are running app games on there and just like you know raking people capped at seven dollars per hand and you know just just raking them all over the. Co there are dozens, hundreds maybe, of those that exist all on Club GG. Like weird. Wow. Very mm -hmm. weird to me. It's yeah. all it's it's all very weird. Whatever I, I don't whatever follow. we think we know about the poker economy. You have to add that element and think like there's a lot of shit that even people who are pretty entrenched in the game like we are there's a lot of shit that we don't know about there's a lot of numbers we don't have there's a lot of details we don't have you know all i know is if the wsop schedule comes out tomorrow and there's a hundred dollar tournament in there and we so pissed <laughs> yeah. I want more. I want more Like um, they have the 25k heads up. You can just have run like a 1k heads up, like a smaller one. I, yeah. So getting back to the original like, conversation, I do agree with what Brian's saying. I wish that they had mirror schedules, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. you have right. a high roller, you have a small roll, like yeah, low roller, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. The low roller. Yeah. No, it's kind of it's kind of. And then you have the right? slow roller. When <laughs> <laughs> oh, you slow roll someone on river, uh, you you get double the chips, but yeah. you might get beat up in the parking lot. Oh, I have a funny slow roll story. Uh, when I was in the Bahamas, uh. I played, with, played at the same table as Sean Deeb. He slow rolled a European pro uh, who he had never met before. He slow rolled him for no reason. Um, <laughs> That's just because he's Sean Deeb. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Then I played with this same guy again last summer. Uh, Johan Schumacher, I think was his name. And uh, I talked to him about it. And I was like, oh, do you remember that time we were playing the Bahamas and Sean Deeb slow rolled you? And he didn't know it was Sean <laughs> Deeb. He, he didn't recognize Sean Deeb and thought he just got slow rolled by a random fish for no reason. A random white American. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He, he spent a year and a half thinking this random fish slow rolled That's him so good. for Amazing. absolutely no reason. Yep. And then it turns out it was Sean Deeb and it's like his whole thing. And he was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know that was Sean Deeb. But I thought it was so funny. He spent 18 months thinking he got slow rolled for no reason at all. That's so good. I mean, um, he did get slow rolled yeah, for yeah. no reason of at course, all other than that it was Sean's right. thing. You know, it's, it was really funny. Uh, there's, there's one thing I'd like to see WS uh, bring back go ahead um i can't remember if it was the first or second year where they started integrating online mm -hmm. but the final table used to be live they only did that once or yeah. twice maybe they, had, they did and it last year they had they had an event with rampage final table it oh yeah yeah it, it was, was a, the 5k was, yeah they, fuck they, i bubbled they, that one. Oh really well, I got, yeah i got like 11 yeah no they're it. doing that more now they're doing events where everything plays out online oh, until yeah. the final table and you play it live yeah. Yeah. i think that's pretty cool yeah. 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 yeah and i think it's good because it it's 
stops a bunch of ghosting, right? Like if yeah. you're going to play that event and someone else is going to play on your account, well, I mean, it stops it when it's the most important because they're in person. Yeah, well, that matters. Well, it, it neutral, <laughs> well, of course, I just it mean slightly neutral. It, it definitely, yeah, you know? yeah. If you're going to buy some random asshole's account and then he's going to make the final <laughs> table, fucked. God bless. Yeah, exactly. Like you're punting just as much as you are cheating. Right. <laughs> we see that more and more in like different toys. Even like Borgata had adopted this hybrid type thing. Mm -hmm. where they I, get I think that. Places like sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think places like BetMGM and uh, is uh, who's the other oh Stars, uh, who I think is affiliated with resorts. resorts. I think like they're crazy not to do this. Like yeah. just run a series where you do all the day ones online, uh, or 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 you have the option to play online at least, right? Because you just bolster your prize pool whenever you're trying to compete against bigger bigger tours yeah. that, that are kind of stifling yeah. you. Yeah, they did a 1K, 100K. I, um, they did, I think they did it at like the wrong timing. Yeah. Um, but I definitely see where it could be good. Yeah. Uh, I, I do want to put a button on this really quickly because I think this is a big misconception and maybe why I'm being seen is so antagonistic here. Uh, shout out to the Real Goat Cheese comments on literally every video, so I know he watches every day. Appreciate that. Um, but he said, Berkey wants the losing players to be fleeced. Rake is only relevant to the winners who naturally want the buy-in as high as possible to reduce the rake to affect their bottom line. Uh, and then he goes on to say, you want Rex to never leave the ecosystem, i.e. going broke. We're saying the same thing, man. Rake impacts everybody. Like, the winners aren't the only ones who win events. The winners aren't the only ones who cash in events. When you cash, you're raked. You're, pay you're, you're taking the lion's share of the rake, right? So you shouldn't think of it that way. When you buy in, everybody's paying the rake proportionally. It's not like because I have a 30% ROI, I'm paying significantly rake. more rake. Yeah. Well, no, he's implying I'm paying more rake. Because you win? Because I'm winning. And that the losers are paying less rake, and that's just not the way that it works. Everyone just pays the same. Yeah, every, yeah. I the, think he's saying, like, well, like if it's a $400 event and you bust, you just lose $400 regardless of what the rake is. Right. But whenever you, when cash, you cash or you win... right. You you're, you're taking you, you, the worst of it yeah, because yeah, the prize pool is being right, decimated. Right. You're, you're cashing for less because the rake is more. Yeah, and that's that's really everybody critical. loses with higher rate. Exactly. And everybody cashes tournaments at some rate. Yes, for sure. Obviously, but, even yeah. losing players have uh, a cash rate. Nobody, they just don't have an ROI. Nobody's negative 100 percent in a tournament. <laughs> right. If you they, would have to like leave. If they are, I want to play with them. I've yeah. played, played 1,500 tournaments and I haven't cashed one yet. Yeah. <laughs> and even still, you probably wouldn't be. Uh, anyway, the whole point is, is like right, I'm actually right. advocating for the same thing you are. I agree. You don't want the recreationals to leave the ecosystem. You want to keep them as healthy as possible. You want to give them the most opportunity possible to see some return the times that they do get lucky. Mm -hmm. So what you don't want is what happened in the millionaire bounty last year where three people got incredibly wealthy and 9,000 people got obliterated by the rake. Yeah. Right? Like, that's just not really and, ideal. And, and, and it kind of, I guess it kind of compounds too the further they go into the tournament, right? So like, it would be like, you know, if you are a recreational player and you finally do make the final table and you make this cash, now you're getting significantly less Correct. than you would have if uh correct you know, if because rake was lower all tournaments have a payout structure and no matter where you finish from min cash to winner mm -hmm. a certain percentage of the prize pool is being afforded to you mm -hmm. that percentage is only representative of whatever the prize pool is so if a lot of money was taken out of the prize pool via rake you're just simply making less money at every single spot yeah so the rake absolutely matters a ton yeah, and no. i know that and I, nobody gives a shit i i i, I and like i i want to make it clear like i do give a shit about the rake and i do right. care and i want it to be no i understand I, I wasn't trying to like no, use this as leverage against your no, i know i know um just letting everybody know. okay 
I'm. I guess we'll have this conversation again. Yeah. Tomorrow. Once, once the schedule comes out. Next time we have this conversation, put the other hat on, and we'll see if you feel differently. <laughs> put on your put on your nice yeah, guy hat. I, I mean, like, all right, look, you're you're not wrong <laughs> about the hats. Well, you might be wrong. You might be wrong about the hats. Definitely wrong about the hats. But this you're is not emo Berkey right you're, here. You're, you're not wrong that I'm I'm taking a negative slant to this. But the thing is, is that like, if I don't. Who will? Yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about your argument. I'm talking about your general mood and demeanor. Oh, no. I'm actually in a great mood today. Although I do have like a terrible uh, head cold that's oh, been that's bothering why. me. Oh, that's why. Okay. That's why, you got sure. that, that's why you got the yeah. winter look on. For yeah. sure. Okay. I woke up and I couldn't sense. breathe. I felt like I was swallowing razor blades. Somehow, oh, shit. Okay. That's it, why. It, it's weird because uh, it's just, um, it, it's like some sort of sinus infection, obviously. Because like I woke up and I thought I was dying, of course. <laughs> and then I like had some water and moved around. And then suddenly it's only just like, the, yeah. the, the, you know, my throat doesn't hurt anymore. Like there's no issues with anything. It's just literally like, I feel like I'm just smelling snot everywhere. Mm. Yeah. I and, hate, uh, I hate those days where you're not really sick, but like the first hour after you wake up and the last hour before you go to bed, exactly. you're tired. It's like, it gets worse. I hate mm -hmm. that. It, yeah. It feels like a piano's on your chest. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, I didn't sign up for this. I drink bone broth every day. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be immune. Why are we <laughs> going with... What is Over this? the top reference. Is this, oh, okay. When he flips his cap is when yeah. he turns it on. Oh, okay. okay. That that is subtle, Guapo. That is, that is great. A lot of respect for, for we gotta, pulling we that. We gotta one have out. you whenever you're making different types of points. We gotta have you change your hat every time. <laughs> right. Like mm -hmm. just you know, which Berkey are we getting right now? You know, I think I think moving forward, uh, we're gonna need like to have to alternate weeks. So like when news drops. And it's it has a slightly negative slant. You guys have to take the negative side, All and right. I have to be <laughs> Sally Optimism over here. We have to like here. force you to play okay. devil's advocate for the the side for that the you don't actually side, believe right. in. Yeah, right. Like I need to be the cheery eyed one, saying like the sky's not falling, and you know, really letting you guys know. Don't worry, everything's gonna be fine. I, I, just, I think I'm just so weirded out by I that. I think what it might be is like when you're on your way to go play. Yeah, when you're about to go play like a really big game or something, you've got the backwards hat on. You're yeah. you're you know you're hyped. Work attire. You're, ex you're excited. Right. Yeah, you got your work attire on. <laughs> now, like you're you're probably gonna go to the gym later or whatever. but yep. You're not like on the way to go play, so you're right. not excited and you're like a little bit energy lower. Like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, this, you're right. this was about a movie for arm wrestling. Oh yeah. Oh dude, it was great. Oh, it was a great movie. You, you just, okay, so this it. this movie had a budget of this movie understand. had a budget of twenty five million. Yeah. And it, got a, a box, lot back it got a box office of 16. Right. That's probably because Sylvester Stallone got 20 million to make so, it. Exactly. It lost the money it cost to get Sylvester Stallone yeah, to make it. Yeah, like, that was like it's a, it's one a year. That, that movie was like one year post Rocky 3. I mean, like Stallone was at P and like right around Rambo. Mm -hmm. uh, Stallone was like peak movie star at yeah. that time. Is, so this is the movie about going to the arm wrestling world championships to win money to like yeah. save to like save his son. How excited are you to watch it? If, if, I, if I recall correctly, he was a truck driver. Yeah, he was, he was, was a, yeah. you gotta really driver, yeah. you gotta really yeah. give Landon an education in eighties movies. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, nineteen eighty seven. As somebody who lived through it. You didn't miss anything, I'm missing man. Much. You missed Goonies. You missed uh, e. I haven't Back seen to the, the Future. Before. Yeah, you missed oh, E.T. a lot of good movies. You missed Back to the Future. I have not seen Goonies. Uh, Spaceballs is maybe... Spaceballs and Ooh, Princess Bride are maybe Spaceballs the only two that, like, uh, you could watch and you should watch, but, like, the majority of people are going to say, don't, don't waste your time on it. How do you know... How do Rain you, like, get Spaceballs when you haven't seen Star Wars? Um... 
I mean, it's still funny. I, I guess it is, but the, it's like the references you get half the references. Well, you don't have to watch Star Wars to get those references. Like it's I know much who, funnier if you do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> I know who Darth Vader is. Well, I know sure. who Princess Leia is. Uh, I know yeah. Chewie, R two D two. Like I know all the characters. Mm-hmm. I've seen the enough characters. of it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, calm yeah, the desert. Great. <laughs> yes, yes. Calm the desert. Just because so we're talking good. about movies and shit. You know that Terrence Howard only made $12,000 from Hustle and Flow? Really? I did not. No, I did not. I might be the only one here who knows who Terrence Howard is. I know Terrence I know. Howard. Yeah. Okay. It's my twin. And then, not his twin. <laughs> he was, got, they fired him from being in the Iron Man movies. There were, yes. They replaced him with Don Cheadle. Yep. Mm. There's, um, Good choice, God, honestly. There's another movie he made, and he only made like six k off of it. So and it was he's like, broke. Well, at the time he was. Mm, okay. But it was they put a, on a tab. I literally heard it today and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's pretty well, wild. Yeah, it's unlucky. Um, all right. Well, let's get into today's strat chat. Uh, we're we're going to be talking about when it's okay to donk lead. Yeah. And Break flow, if you will. The simple answer yeah. is when, Break flow. <laughs> when middle pair pairs. Yep. yep. All right. Just always yep. do that. That's it for Strat That's Chat it. today, <laughs> everybody. Uh, well, thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Twenty-five yeah. percent. Uh, no, if you guys want to get into this a little bit, uh, I, I can. Yeah, I mean, layer I, my thoughts. Over I think top. just to to kind of broach the discussion a little bit. I think that the very very simple way of looking at this is that it's all about <clears throat> it's all about the idea that if you check, your opponent is just not going to bet very much, right? If you if you are in a situation where you checking will result in them having a very easy check back at a very high frequency. You're probably going to have to start thinking about having some donk leads. And it, a lot of that is going to come down to what the board texture is and things like that. But in a, in a very, very simplistic way, if checking back is a super easy decision for your opponent at a very high frequency, you don't want them to be allowed to do that. You don't want to just allow them an easy decision. So you have to start leading some hands in a lot of spots. Okay, so I guess uh, digging into that a little bit further, whenever we're talking about, because um, to set this up properly, what we're talking about is like defending the big blind or defending out of position in some capacity, whether it's uh, in a single race pot or a three bet pot, and some something happening to the turn dynamic such or, that, or the flop. I mean, you can call yeah. three and then donk the flop, yeah. you know? Flop donks, I think, are a little bit less common, but yeah. Yeah, but they do happen. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, so something about the board texture changes in a significant enough way that it shifts the equity advantage to, let's call it neutral-ish, right? Yeah. Um, that shift in EV, or equity rather, uh, will incentivize a much greater checking frequency by the imposition player, which will then allow him to realize his equity more frequently. Mm. So when we're talking about building a leading strategy to deny that equity realization, what we have to understand is that all strategic options are always going to be built from the top down. So we're always going to start with our value. We're going to curate our value range first. And this is most intuitive to uh, players who are going to start experimenting with these types of lines. You'll want to start to comb out like, what is the value hand that I can select in this particular spot that wants to lead because seeing it go check, check is really detrimental. What becomes a little bit more particular and where I guess my line of questioning is going is how then do you curate an overall range as far as what you should be donking on specific textures that allow you to do so? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a good question. And I think that if you look at, if you look at a lot of Sims for these types of spots, what's really interesting about it is that you, when you're out of position, you can actually be a little bit less polar with your aggression than when you're in position because you're not going to get raised as much. If you're, if you're leading from out of position, 
in position has more of an incentive to just call and play more streets as opposed to raising and, and lowering the SPR. So a lot of the time you're middling to strong draws that otherwise would be, or I guess middling to weak draws actually, that would otherwise be in a pretty tricky spot if they got raised. They're not going to get raised as much, therefore they get to do a bit more leading. And in addition to that, because part of the reason specifically for having leading ranges is it gives our opponent a little bit more incentive to bet once we check, because we're no longer checking such a nutted range. Um, you now, it's now kind of okay to have a certain amount of fairly weak hands in your checking range, because they don't really care about having to check fold. Like they don't really have much equity to realize anyway. And then a lot of the middling equity and, and backdoor equity and things like that, that would be in kind of an awkward spot if you checked and faced a bet, for example, a lot of that stuff is going to start leading. So you're actually going to be a little bit more linear in some of these spots, as opposed to what you might be in position when you're C-betting, which is you might be you might be betting a slightly more polar range. Yeah, I think there are a couple points to take away from there that you can kind of think about when you're curating this range. It's number one, generally donks are going to be for small size. Mm. So you're not going to be super polarized in your range construction. You're going to be a lot more linear. Depending on ranges, betting volume. <laughs> well, let's let, no, let's, let's, let's go into that a little bit. Because like, Dis what you're disreg is disregarding that very weird voice, um, let's way. let's talk a little bit about why that is, though. Because the you're absolutely right that there are going to be some spots where we're going to lead bigger, but a lot of the reason why it doesn't occur that often is because usually it's quite rare for us to call or check call on a previous street and then end up with a polar range on the next street end right. up with a lot of nut hands and a lot of trash right. that so might decide it generally just like people big. might think that like oh well i don't do this very often so i need to go big but it's actually mm. not the case right it's not necessarily the case no it's because, not about frequency it's about range construction yeah mm -hmm. and, and quite a lot of the spots where you are leading you're going to be leading like 30 50 70 percent of your range and you're not just going to be doing it with very specific hands there's not that many spots where you want to check 80% or 90% of your hands and then specifically lead 10% right. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's just, it's too... Uh, yeah, mo too most of the time when you are leading, it's going to be because it's a situation where the board texture, for whatever reason, heavily favors your range. Mm -hmm. And as a byproduct, you're going to have a lot of hands that have middling to good equity, which want to lead for the sake of pushing that equity and giving in position some, some slightly awkward spots. But you aren't necessarily going polar with it because you don't have you don't have a polarized range right you know, when you when you have a lot of hands that are condensed into one region of the deck you know mm -hmm. when you defend a big blind it comes seven six four you know when you have a lot of hands in that area and you have a lot of straights and things like that you you don't have a polar range you have a very linear or a, a, a pretty kind of middle strength range overall because even your overcards have equity right and there's not really very much in that spot that is actually a stone bluff you know so mm -hmm. you're you're not going polar you're not doing it at a low frequency so you're mostly going to go fairly small but there are as landon says there are some spots where in a very specific formation maybe sometimes when it goes check call flop check call turn and then like the river brings a flush or something like that there are some spots where you either have a flush or you just have one pair you know because either you check called with a flush draw twice and you got there 
or you don't have a flush and your one pair is pretty weak you know mm -hmm. so there are, i think there you can generalize like it Gen generally speaking it's going to be when spr has been drastically reduced mm -hmm. and range ranges have been condensed to uh basically only contain certain subsections of uh hand classes so yeah. similar to the example you just gave it's like you land on river in a spot where it would be very hard to get this far with hands that weren't either a pair or a flush draw. Mm -hmm. right. Now, all of a sudden, what you're going to find is the SPR is going to be relatively low and it's just going to go check, check at a high frequency. So we might donk jam yeah. for like pot, mm -hmm. right? These things occur. It happens on turn a lot in like three bet pots where, you know, uh, a range may be condensed. You might arrive at a flop SPR of five, face a large bet Whoa. call. Now the board texture changes drastically. Yeah. And like, you know, the ace of spades falls on the turn, completing not just the flush, but also reducing any nut flushes your opponent may have. Now you're super condensed to these really strong hands. You might lead with a block here. Those are, uh, or, or sorry, lead with a, a larger size. Those here, are some like weird. There's some fun weird spots where you can find like the the check call donk jam turn, or like there's 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 not a ton of spots where it comes up, but there definitely are some. And it a, a lot of the time is going to be like you say, just a question of being mindful of the changes in the board texture, the specific changes in the board texture, what it does to each range. And um, and also in particular, when you're when you're looking at a spot where your opponent is playing somewhat far away from a well-rounded strategy on a previous street. So if they're, for example, if they're three betting a range that's very heavy on high cards and doesn't, ha doesn't ever have any suited connectors or low pairs in it, you can get into a spot where when the flop comes seven, six, five, they literally can never have two pair or better. And so it, it's such a ridiculously good spot for your range that you end up donking uh, at quite a high frequency. Right. So kind of where I was going with this was I've ran not necessarily the same spot, but this is low jack versus big blind and button versus big blind. So low jack versus big blind, it's 30. Mm -hmm. And then this is button versus big blind at 70. But here's a spot where low jack check calls or big blind check calls a bet versus low jack and the turn is like an offsuit seven. So we'll see here is Big Blind facing a low jack range because the range is tighter. When Big Blind does decide to go for a lead, we do choose the polar lead option mm. as we're trying to say that we have 7x plus and ace x for the most part isn't going to be in there for betting volume. Ace jack is going to be the only ace x that we're going to have to mildly protect ourselves if an ace river does come or things along those lines. But then if you're looking at this spot... But again, this is an SPR. This is a, an SPR equation, right? Like if this were at 100 effective, you wouldn't lead for... I think you would. I think you would. Um, and I'll look at it in a second, but yeah. where I was going with this was range construction-wise, when we look at big blind versus button, from 70 effective, we'll see here that versus the button open range, which is extremely wide, the big blind lead size is going to be quarter pot, where now we don't just only break our strategy into 7x or nothing. Mm. But because the range is so much tighter from the low jack, we are going to go for a bigger lead size. But let's see how much I can be good at what I do. <laughs> I'm kind of mildly going on the fly, but not really. I would say a, I would say keep the original sim and literally just change the SPR, just like manually edit the stacks. Just change keep, stacks. Keep, keep the exact keep the ranges. ranges. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If you um, just load up what you originally what you just had. Yeah. So if I go to change, well, I also think it's like not. Oh, it went away. What's up? I just think in general it's like not great to demonstrate this stuff using MTT. Uh, format because it's so much less chip ev dependent right like the things that are going to influence leads are going to be so very different than actual chip ev sims where the incentive for leads is largely going to be uh the specific concentration to the board texture change 
that your range possesses as well as uh, the the SPR manipulation. I think that's true to a yeah. So turn a just so extent. just so my flowers here. If yeah. the, if it's SPR 100, turn size is 2e for 200 percent. Okay. That's really interesting. Thank you. Man, <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever found the 2x pot turn donk but before. Isn't this, isn't this range a byproduct of a 30 big blind defense? Well, it's just 30 big blind defense, sure. But more so the point of I can also change it back to 100 big blinds effective for... The big blind range isn't going to change very much. The only difference is going to be like the low jack range a little bit. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But the point being here, if we do decide to lead versus the, I just the tighter it would change, range... Well, I just assume it would change your flop defense strategy. As in having more check raises? More check raises, more check calls. I, I don't... It, it would, but it, I, I, th I don't think that there's going to be that much that changes about what 7x specifically is going to do. I mm -hmm. think at almost all stack sizes, I would expect 7x to play heavily check call and not very yeah i i would board. just expect to see more asex leadings i guess well, but maybe maybe that's when, incorrect when you're, when you're shallower when you're deeper oh when you're deeper but think, maybe that's just incorrect. i think the issue here is the range that opens for low jack is so yeah. much tighter than button where you yeah. do lead for yeah, quarter yeah. versus right. button right, right. but it's because they're opening 60 percent of the deck right yeah. versus low jack when they open 25 you just get more value i for think that's asex. what it is i think yeah. in the if you look at the indifference points i would bet that versus a small lead a lot of the time what we're keeping indifferent against button is like a lot of their best king highs and um, you know, a lot of their stuff that is still, you know, the best hand against a lot of the, the bottom of our flop check call range. Whereas mm -hmm. I would think against low jack, we are probably targeting like kings through eights for indifference by making a really big bet with, right. a, you know, with a range that like, we're not going to be able to pressure an ace that much, but we are going to be able to take a lot of their pretty high equity bluff catchery portion and make it indifferent versus this big size. It might even be that in at some formations, an ace does start to become indifferent if they if they just uh, never really have much where, of a seven x uh, themselves. Yeah, this is pretty interesting. So when we get to the higher depth, where are we starting to pull our bluffs from? Because obviously, the leading the seven large it's is very be the intuitive. The, it's going to be the wheel draws, right? Like five four. Okay. Uh, oh, you know what? You know what's also a really big factor here that I uh, we didn't really bring up, but it seems almost too obvious to me now. It's it's a lot of it's about how much seven x the razor is going to have. Yeah, you have a huge because, concentration to seven x here, obviously. Right, but I mean, like when you're when you're against button. They have seven X. Yeah, part, part yeah, of yeah. the reason, part of the reason we lead smaller is because they have seven X a lot more. Correct. Yeah. When we're against low jack, they almost never have it. So now it puts in a, puts us in a position where most of their range is now bluff catching it's against just our seven X. It's really mad. Right? Yeah. There's Ace, no yeah. Exactly. Ace X is really mad. There, there's like a tiny, tiny bit of seven X, but they have so little that it really does put our range in a position where we can leverage that seven X advantage to to put them in some tough spots across two streets, but. Yeah, that's interesting. On, I think a lot of people find the lead there, but I think they find it for small. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, lead small does nothing as Asex doesn't care. Right. But versus button, they have so much more king high, queen high, things like this that need to float. Yeah. That doesn't exist as much uh, facing a lead from big line versus low jack. You know, it's funny. I actually, I played a hand at this. Kings the, is a pure call. In that. Uh, you unblock everything, bro. In, I played yeah. a hand River in that win, that Venetian final table recently, or just before the final table. It was against uh, Christina Gollins, uh, Baby Shark on, uh, on Twitter. Um, she she opened and i flatted the small blind and it came it came like queen seven three i think i had seven eight suited it came like queen seven three she bet turn came a seven and i found a big donk lead and i look afterwards i thought like eh, i probably shouldn't lead big there but actually looking at it now i probably should because yeah. she was opening from a position where she doesn't have very much seven x at all so mm -hmm. i i thought my play in retrospect was like probably not great but actually looking at that sim there for the the turn seven, um, it probably was a bit better than I thought. So that's kind of nice.
Yeah, it's more so when you're leveraging an advantage that you have over an opponent that... It's not that they're capped, mm -hmm. right? Because he still has aces and quads. Yeah, right. But the proportion of offsuit 7x and suited 7x big blinds going to check call with versus mm -hmm. the bet is going to be higher than the in-positions player of having a 7 in the first place. I think place. The, mm -hmm. the meaningfulness behind the lead on that particular board is very different also. You're basically leading in lieu of check raising. Um, and you're doing so with like a very specific subset of your range that isn't really interested in realization so much as it is interested in maximum... Mm -hmm. Uh, maximizing yeah. the TV. Most lead spots are taking a much more linear range and ensuring that you're able to maximize the ability to realize because as you kind of mentioned, you're going to have a lot of situations where like you have a pretty weak draw, but it's strong enough to continue, but not versus a large size. Mm -hmm. And these scenarios where like turn card pairs or something to that effect that allows you to create a donk lead strategy, um, what ultimately ends up happening is when you check and face a bet, all of those hands that could have otherwise been fit into a donk uh, are now forced to fold. Mm -hmm. And you don't really gain anything from the hands that could have donked for value that, by it, putting them in your check And isn't range. it all, isn't like when, when that middling card pairs, now the imposition player's uh, check frequency is going to go up. It should right? go up, yeah. So, like, yeah. so you're not going to get as many opportunities for check raise Correct. when you do have the seven. Yeah, Correct. and I think the, the key thing here as well is if you look at a sim and you allow a donk bet and a check... What will happen is if the donk bet is allowed and you're going to be donking at a fairly high rate, once you check, your opponent is still going to bet at a certain rate because your checking range is not the same mm -hmm. as it would be if you had no donking range at all. If you run one of those sims and then you stop out of position from donking, if you get rid of the donk bet altogether, now versus that checking range, in position is going to check back a huge amount. Because that checking range includes so much seven x that they mm -hmm. can't they can't continue value betting the same hands that they would do if like out of these position. Like these weaker ace sometimes. x's, yeah, like exactly. Are, are like, like check back. If and... we're out of position and we're donking a seven a lot, mm -hmm. then when we check, they know we don't have as much seven x. Right. So they can continue betting with ace king, ace queen, etc. Mm -hmm. If we check our entire range, they know that we have a bunch of seven x, so they don't even value bet ace king and ace queen that often. Right. Maybe, yeah. Right? And this is like the circular strategy iterating, mm -hmm. right? Like once we recognize. That somebody uh, never donks, we are forced to like check back mm -hmm. at a higher frequency uh, yeah, yeah. and bet much tighter. But the second that we realize that strategy shifts, now all of a sudden we get to shift our strategy again uh, and play versus two different right. subsets, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is really critical or a really big takeaway because in most of the lower stake environments, you probably don't face that donk lead ever, right. which means that they're largely devoid of it, which also means that you shouldn't be value betting quite as thin on the turn. And this is what leads to the just pay uh problem <laughs> right. right is he too often the too, just pay well, it's the just pay problem right because what happens is too often you take ace king and you value bet it on the ace seven deuce seven card mm -hmm. and you get check raised and then i'm here in your head saying just pay but like you shouldn't pay because this person doesn't have a donking range you shouldn't right. pay because you shouldn't bet like exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. but that well the, sorry i i should rephrase you should pay as in uh, as a byproduct of uh, correcting for the mistake that you already made, right? Like what ultimately ends up happening is you get this proposition where, okay, you did something you weren't supposed to do and now you faced uh, an undesirable response, but you still have the hand that you have and it's just really good fucking hand. So like, sure, you ran into a seven some of the time, but it's no different than if you had checked back now and faced a riverbed. Like mm -hmm. you're obviously going to call with that right. hand. Right. 
So you pay this street, and then maybe you make a tight fold on the next street. Right. Because good things can still happen. They could just check the river, or you could improve exactly. to another you ace. Don't, you don't just like make the mistake of betting ace-king and then make the additional mistake of then folding it Correct. to a raise. Yes. Like, so, what's the worst outcome? Oh, quickly, this will take two seconds to pull up a solve where we'll just use the low jack, a big blind 30, where the size is 2E for uh, the big blind. Where we see here, this is the strategy, right? You say you have a 7 or you don't. Your bluff's coming from your low wheel gutters that unblock the high cards that now have to fold. But if we remove the lead option and just be like, okay, like I don't think the guy I'm playing plays leads. <coughs> right. So if we just make a pure check, now we'll see that the low jack... X back everything. Yep. Uh, 100%. Everything. Yeah, 100%. literally 100% check. Can't oh, bet. Wow. Yeah. Right, can't bet. So yep. now if they do have leads, you can bet as low jack sometimes because they lead a seven a lot. So right. now the size you choose, if you do decide they just to have bet, less sevens when they check, is bigger. Right. Well, right. the pure the pure check back here uh, has to be somewhat a byproduct of SPR, right? Because you would want to bet a seven if the SPR is like ten. You're saying for imposition? Yes. Well, imposition. You're saying okay. If you're saying at 100 effective, if low jack plays a range check, uh, yeah, I, I potentially. Um, potentially some amounts of bets. I mean, I guess if he just doesn't really have much 7x at all, then yeah, maybe it's not you, that big of a deal to check you, back You here. might start to get to the point where specifically like king 7 and maybe like ace is full and deuce is full. Well, you don't even have deuce is full, but like some stuff might start to want to bet when we're super deep because we might be so deep that we can't even stack a 7 like very often. But I think as long as we're shallow enough that villain is, you know, the, the out of position player is still going to get stacks in with a seven at a decent rate. Mm. I, it might not, it wouldn't surprise me if we do still play a, a very high frequency check. I think it'll be check. very high. I'm just curious if it'll okay. be pure. Yeah. One thing I would also like to test after this is I want to look at a sim where we have the in position player using a, uh, a large size on flop on a very sort of connected y kind of board. So like 1095. Yeah, it's yeah. literally the exact board I was going to say. If we look at 1095. Yeah, same idea. Basically just check and then some polar strats where you have like wheel or 7x, but mostly just range okay. checking. So you do, yeah. you do get the 2% bet. You basically bet for check, small, but, like, but if you, you know. do decide to bet with 7x or like aces or it like your go. wheel draws, you look, just go for 2x pot. Look yeah. at me nailing the king seven, aces full. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, there we go. We got it. Yeah. All right. Gold um, star for hunt. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you do but, have deuces now with that, that. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I guess we do. Um, but anyway, the, uh, the type of spot, Landon, if you could pull up like uh, a connected board, like a 1095 or something with a flush draw, and then see if in position bets like pot or or something like that if in position bets big and then it goes check call and then the turn is like uh, a nine yeah like the, nine no, I, I was gonna say a, a straight card like okay. a like a seven or an eight my um, fear is that you're not gonna have as many leads just because offsuit broadways connect for the low jack yeah maybe ten nine five is not the best example maybe like if it was like seven eight or eight seven deuce turn five yeah, that's probably really good. Yeah, okay. let's do that. Let's go eight seven deuce turn five. Yeah, because turn um, turn five is better than turn right uh, six because ten nine will still exist. Yeah, for the exactly. So something like this. Uh, basically, we just want a spot where in position is able to bet big on flop, and then out of position is going to be quite condensed when they check call to a lot of hands that interact with that texture in a way where they're going to turn some straights, two pairs, open enders, things like that. I I think you're going to see a lot of leads in those spots too. And it's, again, it's, it's partly because the big blind can have the straights there where in position yep. can't. So here, like, low jack is going to go for a 3E size of, like, 116 yeah, if they're going to okay. decide to bet just because of the overpair advantage. Yeah. So they're going so over check, bet on the flop. bet, call, turn, flush complete or no? Um, let's try flush complete first. Like, try five of hearts, let's say. 
This is 100 Big Blind Effective? Yeah. yeah. This is 100 Big Blind. Look out, five of hearts. See now there's going to be dunks. a lot of leads for small because the high card offsuit exactly. is going to be really mad. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you can see now, like I was cheating, uh, uh, 25%. So you're not going to go polar lead as you just have a right, an equity advantage if you mm -hmm. do decide to bet. What about uh, like five of clubs, like the five without the flush draw? Because the, I think in position is going to have some flushes. Probably less leads, probably but, less leads, but quarter pot. Yeah, like probably not a big size. Like 25.9, 20 Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, these are, these are spots. This is maybe not the exact perfect example, but I, I've definitely seen some spots where you have in position betting big and then, uh, you know, it, it becomes less about the, wow, okay, the seven is really an extreme Yeah, so card. seven's like a really good one that we check call with, but mm -hmm. because we have such a good range, like not good range advantage, but we have a lot of seven X and eight X, mm -hmm. we want to bet all of our hands now to just target the high card broadways yeah. for the low jack as they've already broken their range down into over pairs and high card bluffs, mm -hmm. right? So now when we go quarter pot, we just get so much good to start happening from this offsuit region and these suited ace X backdoors that didn't materialize. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So now it's like, okay, seven here, great. We go small, but on a seven deuce turn seven, they're now at an ace. They're capped at an ace. So we need to do something about that and yeah. go bigger. I guess the uh, the point that I was trying to kind of hone in on with looking at a straight completing card is that the other type of scenario where the out of position caller can have certain hands that the in position player can't is quite often going to be when they have certain straight draw combos that in position can't. Because when the flush card completes, yeah, there's going to be, there's, there's probably going to be at least some flushes in both players' ranges. Um, and then when the trips completes, obviously there's going to be a lot of spots where out of position can have more trips. But the, the other situation that people, I guess, don't find the donk leads in, uh, in very many situations, I think, it's going to be when they can have the straight and in position cannot, right? And mm -hmm. I think that's something that is pretty noteworthy because you do see a lot of donks in those spots. Um, yeah, this, this, this is, a, is that a nine? That's an eight. eight. That's an eight. Okay, so, so that's trips. top card yeah. pairs and trips right. is going to be more prevalent for the big blind as we just have so much 8x suited and 8x mm -hmm. offsuit. Where if we look at the low jack range, the amount of 8x that's going to no, exist is going to be yeah, 8, 7 almost. if you're lucky, low frequency 8x, and then yeah. some over pairs. Where what about try try a nine of clubs? I'm really curious because there's jack ten in both ranges, but yeah. big blind also has six five a lot more. I would imagine like might be some leads not here. many. Um, Let's see, offsuit battery kind of annoying. Yeah, not as oh, many. There's a, yeah, there's a little bit. There's Enough, a tiny bit. Though. So it's not not quite at the the same. Um, frequency, obviously, but um, basically the and the, the eight seven deuce might not be the perfect example in this formation, but it, there are going to be plenty of spots where the straight completing is a, a signifier that we should start having some donks as well. Honestly, this uh, this equity chart right here is pretty sick. Where like you look at a turn, like let's just go back to the eight where we have mm -hmm. a range lead. We'll see here that the big blind just wow. wrecks him. Like, yeah, like this line right here is big blind. And then low jack is the green one. Mm -hmm. So on an eight, it's like, okay, this is really good for big blind. And because it's so good, we can go small. Yeah. But now if we look back at like a seven deuce, uh, mildly like a solver stimming, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> solver stimming. That's, yeah. a, that's a thing. That's me. That, well, for me it is. Yeah. Uh, like if you look at a seven, you'll see that the, the range charts probably look like very polar at the top for big blind. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's. So now big blind just kind of does really well when we have a good hand. Mm -hmm. And then low jack still has some decent hands. But the matter of uh, ASAX is still going to be prevalent. A, a really a fun way to identify polarity in these range graphics, if you're someone who's not really accustomed to, to using them very much, is anytime you see those really jagged lines, anytime you see like a, a big drop off in equity somewhere, anytime you see like, you know, like that big corner you can kind of see in the graph there, 
that's a sign that there's some region of equity where a player's range is is drastically dropping off once it gets beyond a certain point. So it's a it's a good thing to look for because it kind of implies some degree of polarity sometimes. And then when you see the really smooth graph, when you see like a very straight-ish kind of line, then it's a sign that all the hands are a little bit more close together in equity and there's not as much polarity going on. To, so to be clear, uh, with those like sharp drop-offs, they're at specific hand classes. Exactly, so like yeah. You'll see like, you know, maybe the drop-off is from uh, trips to top pair yeah. or something and like And in that. this case, the big sharp drop there is from a seven to just an ace, right? right? It's like yeah. any seven is way stronger than an ace, um, but an ace is way stronger than anything worse than an ace. So there's another drop-off after you get past the ace. Yeah. Um, interesting so i'm just looking at river strats on like a brick where you would think because on some turn like some frequency the big line should check some 7x right like nine seven's mm -hmm. gonna check a lot eight seven's gonna check a lot i was looking at river strats on an offsuit four just to kind of see like what size does big one want to use if they do have a seven mm -hmm. but the point necessarily isn't about trying to find a range that fits your seven x but bet your one size that allows you to bet your ace x's as well sometimes to get value from kings and queens we're in the we're in the check check turn line now, Correct. right okay so now we go for block to not induce a range with your seven x but mostly try to bucket your ASEXs as well, where I do this way too fucking much, where I'll try to like make custom sizes for hands that would make sense, where it's like, okay, if I have an ace, I can block and then call a raise. And if I have a seven or a bluff, like a four or five or whatever, mm -hmm. I'll find a way to overbet or try to make them fold or get max value from an ace. But the solver just wants to play one size and protect it all. I think where, that makes a lot of sense because I don't think that, this is on the ace seven deuce seven four, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that uh, an overbet does anything really to the ace-x region of making much of it indifferent. I think it just gets to play pretty easily where it's linear, right? Like the best ace mm -hmm. is probably just going to call uh, and then so on down the line. And then you give really easy decisions to hands like kings or queens or, or whatever the case may be where they would basically be indifferent facing any bet. What I like to do in these spots, and I notice it works so incredibly well, is... Uh, when you bucket everything to a block here, like say the forty percent size, you get to you get to like maximize this bleed over effect from your top pair to your trips, but also you get to create this secondary strategy of uh, already having a counter versus raises, and that's so important because I think the instinct is like you land here with a hand like five four or five six or something like that, something that had a backdoor right that you chose not to donk on the turn. And you land there and you're like, fuck, I'm at stone bottom. Like, I, I need to do something to try to win this pot. And you land somewhere between like, well, I'm not sure if an overbet's going to work or not, but I have 7x in my range, therefore I should just overbet type of thing and apply max pressure to top pair. And then you get snapped by like ace nine. Mm -hmm. And you're like, fuck me, this is never working. Um, but what you could have done instead it is block. Yeah, but it just doesn't, practically speaking. <laughs> so like what you do instead is you block and uh you know imposition gets greedy with hands like ace king ace queen well, some they of should. the time right like they should pure raise and right. that's part of the like ev of strategy. exactly and then you, you just say like that. okay i have six high i can fold some of the time but i also block all of his check back seven x perhaps the, or i block the, a lot of it the block the block three bet line is a, a really fun line when you pull it off it's it's one that i feel like is for me, so overbluffed, and for the pool so under bluffed yeah like they just don't really find it yeah. Um, I, I gotta say that the hand I'm probably most proud of in recent months was pulling off a block three bet against like three opponents 
in the win 10k just like block three bet all in and they both snap fold and i was just yeah like, i think was, i think that was good that was a good bluff so the reason why it's it's so under bluffed is because like the environment especially the environment that i play in or these, these smaller stakes i mean river raises are just so nutted it's so, not it's not just that the other aspect of it is in order to uh if, if you're not really well versed in your strategies mm -hmm. in order to find the block to begin with you almost always have showdown value Almost mm -hmm. no one's going to take six high, right, and, and fit it into right. a block. Yeah. So now uh, th this is weird because I think it's under bluffed, but I'm also really good at sussing out the times that it is bluffed mm -hmm. because I might hold like key cards that block their value, and I just think like, okay, well, for them to have started with a block, they very likely had showdown value, mm -hmm. and I block this portion of their range that's the nuts. I guess this is the time where they just happen to have like you know a counterfeit two pair fit it into a block because it still wins sometimes i raise with the over pair and then they go for the jam and it's like oh no call <laughs> you know it's it, it, I, it, I think it, it also yeah. kind of speaks to the fact that in certain environments you just you you don't see a lot of like certain sizings right, right. so like there there might be a lot of games in which river raises are always nutted but the reason river raises are always nutted is because nobody ever bets like quarter pot on exactly river. nobody yeah. ever like blocks yeah. on river right and That's so as soon as you start doing the thing that people don't usually do you're now creating a completely separate um part of the tree mm -hmm. that sometimes doesn't exist because that if you're just observing the environment and you're not active in it you're not going to see it because everybody in the environment doesn't recognize that it's something that should be part of their game tree you know yeah yeah, I think yeah, it's my true. fear of the B40 is they just like always just snap with the ace axe. I'm like, well, I could have tried to make you fold that a little bit harder. But the point is you're trying to uh, allow yourself a cheaper bluff size right. because getting that bluff through for B40 is pretty sick. Right. And mm -hmm. then if you do have 7x and they and they raise, you can leverage your 7x advantage and make ace king. Right, really like you weren't trying to make ace x indifferent. Yeah, and this is a big, big thing, I think, that particularly in tournaments where you've got a lot of spots where you have really wide ranges that people need to kind of be aware of that you don't always have to try to make them fold everything. You know, like it's completely okay to just have five high and try to make them fold king high and just be happy when that happens. And then yeah. if they have better than king high, they're never going to fold, but you just don't I care. think that's a big aspect to river bluffing in particular is understanding where the upper threshold is of hands mm -hmm. that you can make indifferent. Yeah. And just recognizing like they're going to call some of the time, but they're going to be unhappy to do so. <laughs> hey man, for what it's worth, you've got to peel a 6-5 backdoor versus low jack for quarter pot in the first place. That's true. Well, maybe it wasn't the best example. But no, you but you do. No, no, no. It's a pure continue. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Like it's a good example, but like if those peels from low jack don't exist, and you pure track turn by the way, because you have no equity, right. you can't bluff it. You can bluff wheel draw. Like if right. you have, mm -hmm. if it's a seven deuce, you have five four, but having five six, you can't win. You mm -hmm. have to check, hope they check back high high Broadway, and then go for B forty to make right. them fold it. Mm -hmm. But you have to peel that in the first place, and if that peel doesn't happen, the river node for out of position is actually going to be stronger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cue the uh, J little tweet. <laughs> But like I would have missed it too. Like I, I, I was playing a trainer spot where I folded eight nine backdoor on like king jack five, and versus button quarter pot, and it just says like error. I'm like oh, I guess I must have fucking sick knit. <laughs> uh, who knew? Yeah. Fucking hell. Uh, any any uh, other major takeaways you guys want to touch on? I I don't think anything big. Um, 
you know, when you start looking at tournament spots with ICM, there's more donking, but that's it gets way into the, the ICM weeds, so we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, that was kind of why I wanted to differentiate, not because I don't think it's valuable. Of course it is. I just think that it's a whole other area of study. It is. That's, like, rather complex. It's just, Yeah, I mean, for the first half of a tournament or so, you're still going to be playing Chip EV anyway, so yep. you can still use this stuff. Yeah. I think, that, um, you know, when it comes to, like, tournament training versus cash training and stuff like that... Uh, I think it is important to have similar um, structures that you follow, mm -hmm. but differentiate based off of the arena. Like if we were to put out a donking course, I wouldn't want it to be a panacea or a one one size fits all type of thing. Well, it's right? not. That's what I mean. Like you would want to do it for hundred big blind, uh, deeper effective SPRs, et cetera, et cetera, and then you would want to do one that's like ICM dependent. Yeah, and yeah. Then just, I think the. The driving factors behind where a donking strategy exists at, at each individual node are always going to be consistent, but mm -hmm. the actual application of it is going to be very, very different because the ranges that are going to go into each spot are going to be different. Right. The SPRs are going to be different. Exactly. Like yeah. And the risk premium is going to be very different. Yeah, of course. There is none in, in cash, yeah. you know, but it's something to very strongly consider. I mean, ma maybe, you, excuse me, maybe you could make, oh, what the hell was that? Of my voice maybe you can make the argument that in cash if you're like playing under rolled there's right premium yeah yeah <laughs> yeah really difficult to map though we actually spoke a lot about that on tuesday when i did the the ode to uh to shot taking but mm -hmm. um it's it's very difficult to model it's very and to be fair i do think that there's probably some value in it and probably maybe something that i should consider putting a little bit more time and effort into this notion of like modeling um being well rolled versus under rolled and like the mentality shifts as well as like the strategic shifts that you can actually take to the table but it's really complex because it's a lot of speculation if, right? if you ever want to build some actual math models for it i'm pretty confident that i know some people on a discord server who could help you with that yeah yeah i think the biggest thing that we would struggle to quantify is what tangible metric we utilized to uh to, to measure risk premium. It, it would probably be... Use, risk of like, ruin, they right? Would, they would probably be using like Kelly criteria yeah. and stuff. Like it, there would probably be some element of that. Uh, yeah, I, you, you need to... Yeah, I think like prime dope calculations are also another... Uh, yeah, I, I guess all, all I'm really saying is that someone with more math ability yes, than me yes, 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 could, yes. could probably find a way to blend these models together yeah, and, for sure. and figure it out. Uh, Kelly criteria is shockingly aggressive. It uh, is very <laughs> aggro, yes. By Kelly criteria, I've been... Properly rolled for just about everything I've done based off of measurable win rate. You should call it the Berkey criteria. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but the difficulty becomes like the measurable win rate, right? right. Like mm -hmm. even if you are an eight big blind per hundred winner, if you're under rolled into a game that you feel like that's your win rate in, it might yeah. just drop. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It might just drop simply due to the inability to execute. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the in-game decisions that you have to change. But uh, that's that's going to do it for us today. Hunt, as always, appreciate you joining us. No problem. I can promise you we would not have had that World Series conversation without you here to be the level head. <laughs> you would not have given a shit, so I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, it's not that I don't give it. I give a shit for the people. I do. Um, it's we just care about the people. It's just more so that it would have been LeMan and I barking at each other yep, instead yeah. of having a mediated conversation. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Which I appreciate. That's so um, don't forget, we do have an academy coming. Well, we have two academies coming up in May. If you are planning on prepping for the WSOP, Hunt will be running a four-day MTT academy at the end of May. I believe that's the 26th to the 28th. 27th to the 30th. Okay, I was yeah. close. 27th to the 30th. <laughs> uh, we are also running a cash academy uh, May 23rd to the 25th. That one I'm more confident in the dates on. 
Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lamanna. But 23rd to 25th, you say? Yeah, that is correct. Okay, be sure to head to academy.solverwide.io. Check out those two academies. Seats are filling up fast. Um, also, don't forget that Jill, our wonderful dealer from both the academy and Poker Out Loud is now executing a dealer academy to prepare anybody who wants to get ready for the WSOP or otherwise. We will be helping with job placement. I had somebody reach out to me today. He said he wants to look into it. Uh, his interest is getting a job at Champions in Houston, which, hey, I know the owner. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to try to take care of everybody who gets involved. Be sure to head to academy.solferwide.io. Click on the banner above if you have an interest in the dealer academy, and you'll get more details there. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back. It's tomorrow Friday. Yep. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow, tentatively noon Pacific. Small chance we go to the evening. I'll let you guys know. ASAP, follow us on Twitter at OnlyFriends underscore pod. We'll see you guys all then. Peace. Peace. Peace.